Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Utah Jazz are back at it tonight. 8 o'clock, late game ESPN. The Jazz hosting the Brooklyn Nets, who picked up a win last night, 116-112. In Portland, Damian Lillard did not shoot the ball well. C.J. McCollum did not shoot the ball well. But the number that jumped out at me was 40. James Harden played 40 minutes. Those are big numbers, and it'll be interesting to see If he plays tonight, how much he plays tonight, how much energy he's got if he goes, that's a lot of minutes to be playing. But they got the win. They opened on – they got a three-game road trip here, and they got that win, and they're playing without Kyrie Irving, who's not on the trip. Kevin Durant's been out. He's played less than half the games for the Nets this season. And, uh, hey, the Nets found a way to get a win in Portland, so good for them. Jazz and the Nets tonight. We're going to talk some basketball in a few minutes with uh, Ben Anderson, who writes for uh, KSL.com and covers the Jazz. But we're going to start with college football. Britton Covey, the youth slot receiver, meeting with the media. Here is Britton. Good morning, Britton. How are you? Morning. I'm doing good. So you've, you haven't had to go through much, actually, a, a change at all in, in the wide receiver room other than, you know, in your, in your second year. But um, what has that move been like from Guy Holiday to Chad Bumpus? Well, I mean, first thing is, uh, I think all of the guys that were here with Coach Bumpus uh, in 2018 when he was a graduate assistant uh, recommended him. So I'd say there were about five or six guys in the room that were around him when he was there. And when Coach Witt asked us about him, all of us uh, gave the highest recommendations. So... It's been nice to have someone that you know while also having a fresh new face that brings fire to the room. Uh, we really respect him, partly because he – you go watch his highlights. I mean, you, he's, he's walked the walk, and he is very practical. Uh, he reminds me a lot of my first receivers coach, 2015, Coach Stubblefield, in terms of his technicality of things. Very good with footwork, very good with hands, um, very technical – and I think that, that that's kind of what I live for. I love that, that aspect of the, of the game and of receiver play. So, uh, and then he's just hilarious. I mean, he's young enough, too, where he can go out there and show you himself what, <laughs> what he wants you to do. So it's, it's, it's been great. Uh, but at the same time, we really appreciate Coach Holiday. I love Coach Holiday um, and all the receivers. We, you know, one great thing that I'll say about Coach Holiday is he cares about us as men, not just as football players and uh, we'll never forget that, and uh, we just hope that he knows that, and we've we've talked to him about it. So, but we are grateful to have Coach Bump too. Next question will come from Josh Furlong, followed by Josh Newman with the Salt Lake Tribune. Britton, welcome to your tenth spring football camp. Ah, thank you. <laughs> now you you mentioned uh, that that uh, you know there's a lot of guys in in the wide receiver room that that recommended him. How, how much how much involvement um, do the does the coaching staff have when when trying to hire a new coach? And then, and where do you feel like you guys can maybe progress under under Coach Bumpus? Yeah, well, I think that Coach Witt did it well. Uh, I've been here, like you said, about 35 years. And I've seen some coaching changes in my time. And every time Coach Witt says the same thing, that we're not in a rush to fill the position because we'd rather get the right guy than just a guy. And so in that time, he does ask, I'm sure the coaches, but he does come and ask my opinion. He does come and ask the other receivers' opinions in the room. And so I think that that means a lot. And, you know, 
not not worrying about a timetable as much. It's a good thing we got him quick because it's been great to have him for spring ball. But we got the right guy. I know we did. I can't. I really can't tell you how excited we are as a receiving core for this year because Coach Bunt brings that fire into the room. Um, and then the next question was, what was? I'm so sorry. What? Josh, it was just more. What What do you feel like? You know, he can bring to to the table that will help. Oh him yeah. Progress. Well, it's similar to what I said before uh so he was a great slot receiver um he has he's so technical i've always felt that and maybe i'm biased because i'm like four foot tall but uh i've always thought that short guys make great wide receivers coaches because they could never rely on all these crazy gifts or athleticism to be great players you got to rely on a lot of the technical side of things and so when you get someone who has that athleticism or height, you know, someone like Solomon Enos or Devon Bailey, and you can teach them that side of things, the technical side, that they're way better than anyone without those could ever be. They, they exceed everyone's expectations, including their own. And I think that that's what he brings to the table that I'm really excited for. Next question comes from Josh Newman, followed by Alex Markham. Great. Good morning. Morning. Um, I know that we goof around about your age and things like that, but, you know, but given your age and, and given how long you've been in school, was there any consideration this off season to maybe bypassing the rest of, of your eligibility and taking a shot at the NFL? Not really. Uh, mostly because I only got to play in, you know, three games last year. Had I had a whole season, I think that might have been a consideration, but uh, never really crossed my mind with everything that went down last year. I, I've been wanting to have another full season with the guys for two years now, and uh, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the grass isn't always greener on the other side, including going to the NFL, and so I'm glad that everybody stayed, and, and uh, I don't want to live with my mind focused on the NFL because then you miss out on so much of the joy that comes from, you know, college. And I think that that, I actually think that that happens a lot in college football nowadays. Uh, I'll, I'll hear freshmen uh, coming in talking about leaving after three years. And always the first thing I say to them is, you know, you don't think about the NFL right now. Don't even worry about that. I mean, I, I could go through countless examples of guys who, you know, didn't do it the typical way. I mean, Terrell Burgess, you know, didn't, he started his fourth year, senior year, and, and now he's doing great. And so I think too many guys worry about the NFL right now during their college career. Um, but no, I didn't really cross my mind last year. Just to follow that up um, with Chad Bumpus, two things. One, how, how beneficial is it to have a young guy who isn't that far removed from his playing career and two, having a guy who, you know, has some pro experience, someone like that for you to lean on knowing that that is your ultimate goal. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said before, coach Bumpus has, has this fire in him. He's not far removed from the game. He understands a lot of the new things that the game has developed in the past 10 years, you know, just from, you know, how the spread offense has evolved to things like RPOs and, and such. And so, he's got a good understanding of what we're trying to do. Uh, and honestly, he's just the most competitive person you'll ever meet. You'll lose a rep and 
in a practice and one-on-ones and he'll go running after you down to the five yard line, throw his hat on the ground and start jumping up and down. So he's really competitive. And, and that is what brings that fire into things. Uh, I think there are times if we're not having a good day that he gets so frustrated that he wants to put the cleats on and go out there and hit someone. So it's, it's pretty fun to have someone who, you know, still fired up and probably thinks he could beat half of the room still. I think that's what it brings to the table. Final three questions for Britain will come from Alex Markham, Cole Bagley, and Bill Riley. Britain, man, first off, you're you're not you're not old, man. Wasn't it just yesterday that I was interviewing you out at uh, out at Tempview, huh? Yeah, no, that was a couple. Feels weeks. like yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, hey, man, so you know, you you talk about uh, Bumpfish being new and everything, but a lot of experience. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience as well, and, and you're really vital to that room. So um, what is it that you're kind of taking on with more of a leadership role um, in that room with the guys? And, and maybe even especially during that time when there was that little bit of a gap between Holiday and, and Bumpus. I'm, I'm sure that you were pretty much taking the lead there. Yeah. Well, I mean – I feel like I've grown a lot as a player and as a teammate in my time here. Uh, and I think I've always tried to be the type of leader on the team that, uh, you know, I am vocal in front of the group, but more so I try to be more of a one-on-one type person so that if anyone has any issues one-on-one or if anyone's struggling, they know that they can come to me privately uh, because I'll, I'll, you know, give them that, the benefit of the doubt. I'll, I'll give them that, uh, just, I don't know, ear to listen to. And, uh, I've just always tried to be that type of person. And so in that time, I just tried to make sure that everybody was all right. Uh, as simple as that, I think that leadership can be expressed in many different ways. And, uh, the older I get, the more I realize how personal it needs to be for it to be genuine and authentic and for people to really respect you. And so, yeah, I I don't know if I've been the perfect leader for the group in that transition, but uh, I don't think I needed to be because we've got other guys. We've got Solo, Slavens, um, JD's back, which is great. We've got T-Boney, who actually has been here longer than I have, Tyrone Smith. So we've got a great group of guys, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, But it is – it is really cool to be an older guy on the team. It's, it's strange. Every other year in my career, I felt like this was the older guy's team. And this is probably the first year where I come in and, and I see, you know, someone doing something that, you know, maybe is not in youth culture. And I'm the one that's like, no, this is, this is my team. Like we, we don't act like that here. You know, this is, this is our team. And uh, it's really cool to feel like that, to feel like an older guy. Excellent. Also, just a, a quick follow-up. How uh, how nice is it having JD back in the room, man? Oh, it's so great having JD back. I love JD. We're, we're the two Smurfs, me and JD. Uh, we used to have a package in 2018 called Smurf Package because we're so short. And we were both on the field at the same time. But JD brings so many things to the room, that, including just a, a happiness, a goofiness that I think we missed. Next question will come from Cole Bagley. 
I'll, I'll save you another age joke, uh, but you've dealt with some tough injuries in your time here at the U. What was it like to come back from those injuries and, and perform at such a high level, even though it was such a shortened season? Yeah, yeah, it was it was more of a mental struggle than a physical struggle, honestly, because uh, what ha- what would happen is I'd get back from certain injuries and then in practice I'd re-injure them and then I'd get back and then I'd re-injure them in practice. And it got to the point where, you know, you know, you never want nothing's worse than when people call you injury prone. It's like a dig in your side and you, and you don't want to be that type of person. But there are some times that some things that you can't control. And so uh, it was a mental, a mentally exhausting grind the last couple of years. Uh, but then I kind of took it matters into my own hands. And for the last, you know, three months, I've been going to a personal trainer every single day on my own, uh, just working on everything that my body has struggled with over the last two years. A lot of these soft tissue things, things that came as a result of my knee, a couple hamstring things. And, and so I am stronger than I've ever been. I'm faster. And I believe that I'm less susceptible to injury because of what I've tried to do on my own. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to keep that going. I think if I have another four or five months of that every single day on my own before the season, I'll be okay. Just a, a quick follow-up. Um, with with a full season ahead of you now, what are you looking forward to the most this fall? I am looking forward to – gosh, man. I just – I I have a similar feel this year as to what I did before 2019. Is it 19 or 18? It was Snoop, Tyler Huntley's last year with the team, with the group of guys – um, with returning starters, with the opportunity to do something special, uh, I have a similar feeling, and I think we're going to have a great year as a team. That really is my the thing that excites me most. Final question will come from Bill Riley. Morning, Britt. Morning, Bill. How's it going? It's going well. Um, not an age joke, but having been around a little while, you've also seen a fair share of quarterbacks. And, and I'm curious, you've seen guys that were all pretty experienced, but Charlie Brewer comes in with four years of starting under his belt at a pretty high level. And you've got some young kids in the program this spring as well. I'm just curious, in the limited time you've been able to throw with him and, and, and be around him, uh, what, what stands out about Charlie? And uh, can, can, it, can you tell that he's played a little bit of football? You can definitely tell that Charlie's played a lot of football. He's got that confidence. Charlie's great. Uh, I'm excited for fans to get to know him because uh, I think I'm doing a podcast with him later this week, actually. He's got – I'm not – it's not a shy personality, but he's more reserved. But then you get to know him, and he's just – he's hilarious. I love Charlie. I'd say the two things that stood out to me most about Charlie since playing with him is, one, his his movement in the pocket. Uh, I haven't seen a quarterback able to move like that in a while. Just his, he steps up in the pocket. He slides left, slides right, keeps his eyes downfield. You could tell he's got a lot of experience. Uh, it's, it's like he's got another set of eyes in the pocket, uh, knowing where to move. And I've, I've thought that's amazing. And the second thing is his release. He's got an extremely fast and quick release, uh, which helps him get it into tight windows. Cause he's not very tall. Um, so I know as a quarterback, you know, in high school, I had a hard time receiving over my line and they were like 
six foot. Now these guys are six five on the offensive line. And so having a quick release to see it in these windows, these gaps is really important. And those are the two things that have stood out to me the most. There's youth slot receiver Britton Covey. When we come back, Ben Anderson is talking jazz with PKNI. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson. He writes uh, on the Jazz for uh, KSL.com, and the Jazz are going to be playing the Brooklyn Nets tonight. The Nets winning in Portland last night. James Harden playing 40 minutes as they win 116-112. to 112. Ben was with us late in the show yesterday, so he didn't know about this game, obviously. Uh, but nonetheless, some big-picture stuff with the Jazz with Ben. Ben, good morning. Good morning. So, Ben, our question, having watched the Jazz dismantle the Bulls, win by 25, the kind of stuff they were doing back in January, find a team at or below 500 and crush them, hit the threes, deny all the easy layups, get rid of a bunch of, a slew of just silly, sloppy turnovers that give teams hope, and blow a team out. You see that, do you think the Jazz are back on track, or do you want to see more before you announce something like that? No, I think they're certainly trending back in that right direction. I think they were a little rusty coming back out of the all-star break. So I think it's trending in that direction. I don't think they're going to get back to playing the way they did in the first half of the season. I think that's just an unusually hot stretch that teams tend to go on and and, and not often, but the fact that it doesn't happen often is probably more an indicator that we won't see them get back to that point. But I do think they're probably somewhere in the middle and closer to what we saw last night as being their true identity versus what we saw those first four games coming out of the all-star break. So I want to go back to the Philly loss, and that was frustrating on a number of different levels, obviously. But one of the frustrating parts for me was to see Joe Ingles and, and to an extent, Jordan Clarkson playing very well, but you get down to five minutes to go, and you go back with the starters, and it doesn't necessarily matter how the starters are playing. And I'm looking at Bogdanovich specifically. And then you go into overtime, and so Joe and Clarkson, certainly Joe, uh, they become spectators the last 10 minutes of the game, essentially, because of the fact that they extended five more minutes for the overtime, and that's where I get my other five minutes. My thought is those two in particular have earned themselves the opportunity under the right circumstances that Quint Snyder gets to decide as far as closing games rather than going with a specific formula. How do you view that and what they should do when you get in those situations? Yeah, Quinn's always been pretty rigid in those situations. It certainly changes in the playoffs. He's been willing to, to go out and mix things up depending on certain matchups. And then since that Philly game, we've seen a couple of alterations. There was one where Joe Ingles did stay in. I don't right. remember if it was the Wizards game or, or what it was. And then uh, certainly Rudy Gobert closed the entire fourth quarter and the Jazz win over the Raptors. So I, I do think Quinn Snyder probably agreed with that at that point, too, that, hey, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich, what he's doing now is, you know, whether it's a funk or whether it's who he is or whether he's coming back from an injury and it's not going to get better until next year, whatever the problem is, you know, I do think you probably need to be willing to work around that, especially if your goal is to say, 
hey, we're just being we're just going to put ourselves in the best situation to win as many games as possible, so you can get to the playoffs with the with the number one seed. It can't be just about kind of defining that rigid identity that you talked about. So when you get to the playoffs, that's what you're going to rely on. Because I don't think the Jazz are set that that is the identity they're going to rely on when they get to the playoffs. I do still think the best version of the Jazz is probably if Boyan Bogdanovich comes back, plays like he started or like he did most of last season, if he can get back to shooting close to 40% from three, and he already is. Uh, but if he can, he's just clearly not having the same impact he did last season. If that comes back, it's worth continuing to give him opportunities to see if you can find that rhythm. But now that we've got, what, 30 games left in the season, right around there, I won't be surprised if, if you do start to see more lineups or more lineup adjustments, even late in games, even if you continue to start Boyan, just to see if there's a different closing unit you need to go with. So I'm under the assumption that now that we've seen the Ursan Ilyasova debut in, in what was clearly garbage time, that there will be some effort to work him in the rotation somehow. And whether that's working him into the rotation proper or whether that's, hey, they're going to rest guys down the stretch and so guys are going to take on different roles depending on who's sitting every night, that they got him for insurance. They need to have him play a little bit in case there's an injury or a matchup and a need. How do you think he's going to be used going forward now that he's, he's finally played? I agree with that. I think the concept of that, that, that it would be nice if it was a guy that could step in and plug and play and, and be ready to go if you need him. I don't know if Quinn Snyder's going to be willing to do that because I think you could have made that same argument for Shaq Harrison. And I don't know if Ursan Ilyasova is you know, better than George Niang at this point in his career, so he's not going to jump anybody in the rotation. But you're right, if there's an injury or if Boyan for some reason is unplayable come the postseason or you want a little bit better rebounding, which is something Ilyasova does, it's probably ideal to get him out there the best way to do it, and I think Quinn Snyder would tell you this, is you know win games by 25 like you did last night and let him play for six minutes in the fourth quarter. But I do think you could start to see a couple of plug-and-play minutes where, you know, Mieoni's had a few stints where he'll get three minutes at the end of the first quarter and three minutes at the end of the third quarter just to try and get him used to playing with starters and get him used to playing with the other guys in the rotation. The good news is, honestly, Ilyasova should be more plug-and-play in case there's an emergency than a guy like Oni because he's played whatever it is, 800 games, and he started 400 games, and he's been in the NBA for 13 years. There's just He should have a general sense of what is going to be asked of him, what his best role is going to be, how he can help a team, where you don't necessarily need to carve out minutes from somebody else to get him on the floor. But, but I will be curious if Quinn Snyder starts to find ways to strategically rest some of his players down the stretch so they are a little bit fresher come the, or come the uh, postseason. So one of the things that has plagued the Jazz to an extent has been these slow starts, particularly offensively. And it's hard to put your finger on it, but obviously against the Bulls, that wasn't the case. So I'm wondering if you think it's just about a mindset to make sure that you're ready to go when the game starts. You don't have to necessarily blitz them and be up by 20, but you've got to have some flow early. I do think some of it's trying to get Boyan Bogdanovich involved, and I hate to make it sound like he's this punching bag because he's certainly not playing well again, like I mentioned, but but he's not playing, I think, as poorly as some people think he is. He's just not playing anywhere near as well as he did last season. But I do think there's some you know goal to get him involved early, and he tries to put the ball on the floor, and then he turns it over, and he's not a terrific defender, and when you turn the ball over the way he does, he doesn't throw it out of bounds. He tries to make these weird, long cross-court skip passes, and he dribbles into somebody's leg, and, and you know it ends up as a layup going the other direction. And that not only gives somebody two points, but it takes away your opportunity to get two points. I mean, it really ends up being 
you know, almost a three or four point turnover every single time Boyan touches it, it when he has those turnovers. And if he's doing it two times or in the last couple of weeks, it seems like he's doing it basically three times every quarter, uh, you know, that's six points, eight points potentially that, that he's giving up. But I think that's felt like a huge, huge hole at the end of the first quarter where, you know, you're down 29, 23 or 28 to 20. And he's certainly been a part of that. And then other guys, I think, start pressing around him, try and make up some of that, that deficit. So I think last night when he only had one, you honestly saw kind of the, the advantage of that. And he didn't particularly play well again. Uh, he didn't play well necessarily in the first quarter. But I do think that's the big issue, honestly, is just turning the ball over and not playing so sloppy and coming out a little more focused, like you mentioned, this attitude that, hey, you know, the game has to be a full 48 minutes. You can't play a good 36 minutes and just an OK 12 to start the game, especially now that every team in the NBA is gunning for you. And they're going to be gunning for you because they're going to be so ready to play you in the first quarter because they're excited to play the number one team in the NBA. So how long does that last and how long before we see teams, and, and I think the Nets could be an example of it, hey, you've already got two of your three stars out. That's established. Now you got to go back to back. Uh, you're coming in from the West Coast. Sit, guys. I mean, we're getting to the time of season where the, the teams at the bottom tend to tank. Maybe this new playoff changes it, and maybe that doesn't. I don't know how much it excites the Warriors to be in a 7-8-9-10 game. Uh, where do you think this is going? Because I'm, I'm just not convinced everyone's going to be cranked up this time of year. We've seen a lot of teams mail it in down the stretch. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're going to see anywhere near a full-strength Lakers team when the Jazz play them in back-to-back games. And, and maybe, you know, if LeBron is back, maybe he plays one of those two games but doesn't play both. I think you're right. I just, you know, t- teams aren't out there trying to win every game down the stretch. Some teams are. The Suns probably should be. The Jazz probably should be because there's going to be an advantage to them being younger and playing at home when it comes to the playoffs. But the Clippers know they can win anywhere. The Lakers know they can win anywhere. Denver should probably have a little bit of confidence that they can play well, though they've never been super consistent. Even you know last season they were as good as they were late, but they weren't that, that good early in the season. So I, I do think you're going to start to see some of that a little bit more. The teams that are going to be most confident are Brooklyn, who you talked about, uh, and then, of course, both Los Angeles teams. Uh, I'll be curious how the rest of the West handles it because, you know, there's just not a lot of separation now. I mean, Dallas is fighting to prove that, you know, Luka's an MVP candidate and Long's in the playoffs every year, and they probably should be, but haven't played great this year. I think Golden State would like to make it back this year, so they're not going to rest guys down the stretch, I don't think. I think they're going to make a real push to try and get in there. San Antonio would probably like to make it, but let's see what happens in the next 48 hours if they trade DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge and are, are happy to just fall back. So, But I, I'm with you. I don't think the Jazz are going to get good teams trying to bring playoff performances in the second half of the season. You might get some of these younger teams or bad teams trying to prove themselves, but the Jazz have, you know, outside of the Wizards and maybe the Pelicans a couple of weeks ago, they've done a pretty good job proving that they can dismiss those teams and, and handle those teams even when they bring a good effort. So since the Philly game in which the two players got fined, the Jazz have taken 262 free throws versus 99 in the six games for the opposition since Gobert and Mitchell had their outbursts. You think that's more than a coincidence? No, I mean, I think that's why you do it, and I think it, it, it works. I think it matters. I think you have to be willing to go out and fight for yourself, and you know, maybe Boyan Bogdanovich needs to do it now because he – he seems to get really frustrated as he tries to get calls at the rim and, and doesn't get them, so maybe he needs to go out there and, and earn a fine or two. But, uh, no, I think it matters. I think it's a good thing to do. I think you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and say that, hey, we're not getting a good whistle. We get contact at the rim. And, and you know, Donovan Mitchell shot 16 free throws the other day. You, you've got to back it up by being willing to continue 
to attack. You have to put the refs in a situation where they do have to call those fouls. But yeah, those are those are good finds. I think that's that's going to be a, a very good uh, purchase for for both Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell down the stretch of the games uh, to finish the season, where they are getting the free throw line more and. And it makes your life a little bit easier. It gets you to that free throw line, and, and, and that's where you need to be to be efficient. And Donovan Mitchell could certainly use an, you know, a boost in his efficiency as, as it's kind of dropped off midseason. So I think those are valuable. I think that was probably a smart time to do it. You knew people were watching because it was the number one team in the East and the number one team in the West. And you were getting down to the All-Star break. I think, you know, it, I don't want to say it was planned like that, but I think they certainly understood that, hey, something needs to change or they want to see something change, and this is a good opportunity to call for that. So I'm interested in your previous answer about the teams that know they can do it and can kind of turn it on and turn it off and the other teams that can't. And I'm with you on the Lakers. I'm not sure I'm with you on the Clippers, though, because you know Kawhi's been impressive and he's won two titles with two clubs, and I think uh, most of the NBA assumed that he would elevate the Clippers uh, right to the edge of that level if, you know, if the Lakers denied him, so be it. But at least they'd be right there, and something isn't right. They've gone out in the second round of the playoffs – pretty much blown the team up around him, fired the coach, uh, changed a lot of players, and now they're fourth, and something's still wrong. And I'm wondering if it isn't the talent thing, because there's too much fantasy basketball. He's talented, but he's clearly one of the quietest. The, the, when it comes to being a loner in the NBA, he's one of the best examples. Maybe he's the best example and so there isn't the leadership, there isn't the camaraderie. It seems clear that the Clippers missed that last year and that they're missing it this year. How big an issue is that in your mind? How much was he a product of? He was in really strong organizations and cultures in San Antonio and Toronto. And now the Clippers are a little more in flux and they need more leadership out of him. And Serge Ibaka seems to have made this clear. Where are they? Where are they headed? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you look at some of the leaders they've had around them whether it was Tim Duncan or Tony Parker or Manu Ginobili or Kyle Lowry, who's a very underrated leader and was certainly the kind of the key factor on that team as far as having a voice and being somebody with the Raptors that was going to you know make them believe they could win a championship. Kawhi's good enough to get you there. But, yeah, you probably need somebody to rally around. And Paul George has proven he's not bad. He likes to talk a lot. He has huge performances. He's very good. But he clearly has issues where he disappears for stretches or the game isn't as impactful as it looks like it's going to be. And Kawhi's going to do his thing, and he's going to get be very solid and get you, you know, 28 points and be one of the best defensive players in the world. But yeah, for whatever reason, there is some gap there. So I, I think I'm with you. I don't necessarily know if they can flip the switch. They did last night against the Hawks, but they certainly seem to believe they can flip the switch for whatever reason. And even though it's the Clippers and they're the most cursed franchise in the NBA, they seem to have this faith that, that they can just turn it on when they need to. So I think that's why they're trying to be aggressive in the next 48 hours. They've been tied to trying to go out and get a guy like Kyle Lowry. They could certainly use that point guard leader that comes in and is a voice and is a fighter uh, that, you know, Patrick Beverly, I think, probably wants to think he is or people want to think he is, but he clearly doesn't have that impact on the floor. So they probably need another piece. We'll see if, uh, you know, the move they made last night where they traded Cabendule to clear up a couple of million dollars is just to get them under the cap and they're done, or if they're going to try and wield and deal and make something else done, uh, or make another deal, I should say, to, to bring in a player that can push them over the edge. But I think you're right. I think they lack, as weird as it sounds, championship-level experience, despite the fact that they have a two-time finals MVP on the roster. Ben, as always, we appreciate a little time. Thanks for dropping by and talking, uh, talking jazz and talking NBA. Thanks, guys. 
There's Ben Anderson. You read him at uh, KSL.com. When we come back, Jeff Judkins, the women's basketball coach at BYU, joins us next. They play Arizona tonight in the NCAA tournament, 5 o'clock on ESPNU. We'll talk with Juddy next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time to welcome in. Jeff Judkins, women's basketball coach at BYU. PK and I talked to him in the last hour of the show yesterday. His BYU basketball team getting ready to face the Arizona women 5 o'clock on ESPNU. Here is Juddy with PK and I. Time to welcome back to the show Jeff Judkins. Former youth star, Larry Bird's old teammate. Now the women's basketball coach at BYU. And when I say now, I mean for the last 20 years, Juddy. 20 yeah. years. What a yeah, run. It's a long time, Dave, that's for sure. And Never <laughs> thought I'd be here this long, but, you know, when things – you enjoy what you're doing, you, you don't change much and just keep going. Yeah, it's the story of our lives, Judd, right here. Three of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was heaven, you know, once I – doing my own thing because for 10 years I had to do what somebody else wanted me to do all the time. So it was kind of nice to be able to call my own shots and kind of do the things which I thought was right for the team and so forth. So it was good. So you're down, you're down double digits late in this game. What are you telling your team? Well, you know, I called a timeout. We were down 14 and I called a timeout. They won the run and I pulled them in and I said, hey, look, we've got about four minutes um, if we can cut this lead from 14 to 7 before the fourth quarter, then we can come in the fourth quarter and hopefully play well and start off good and and uh, you just just you know just cut in the lead. And you've probably seen this in the whole tournament. It's not just one team. Is when the uh, lower seed is pushing the upper seed. At the end of the game, it's more pressure on on the on the higher seed team. They just seem to feel that pressure, knowing that they don't supposed to lose. And whatever happens, that they start it gets in their head sometimes. And and then of course momentum is a big part. But we just came down and we did cut it to seven, which was big. And then we came out and we just hit some shots and made some plays. And then next thing you know, what you know, we're we kind of got them on their heels, and that's kind of what happens. And so. I mean, I saw it all this weekend with a lot of teams. So, you know, I'm real proud of these guys. We've had a couple games like this during the season, and we've we've lost some, but we've won some of them too. So it's kind of a good thing for us to be able to to really do that. Judy, as a kid, I watched the NCAA tournament on TV, and when I got into the media and I got to start covering it, I can remember the rush of excitement. I mean, I was really stealing money. And you hear players talk, and as you get older, you got more perspective. And it's fun to go to an NCAA tournament, but it's not the same as it was when the first couple times I went. And 
the players, you hear them talk about it, and you see them play, and you think they're going through that same thing, except that rush of adrenaline that everybody else feels really messes up the game for them. And I'm curious how you get your players to settle down, because you've been at BYU 20 years. You've been to the NCAA tournament 10 times, uh, and you've won. Now, this is the fifth time you've won in advanced, but they're always kind of spread out. There's definitely a cycle to building these teams with you at the Y. So the players don't have a lot of experience. So I'm wondering how you get them to settle down in the minute, because I thought when you were hitting threes in that run, the team was really poised, but they don't have a ton of tourney experience. How do you get them to do that? Well, you know, a lot of it is doing things beforehand, you know, uh, during the season and trying to – you play big games. Um, you try to schedule big games. You're playing against good teams. and But a lot of it's just their character, Dave. It's it's weird. Like, you know, when, when I was at Utah, we had those guys. They just believed in themselves, and they, they knew that they could do it. And practice and all the things that we did beforehand just kind of came in there and you know, I've had, like you said, I've had some teams that, that have kind of gone through this same thing. And I just think maybe it's just going over, explaining it, um, making sure they understand what they're supposed to do at those times, but just let them play. In fact, this is what happened. I remember it happened sometimes in other teams, but I'll, this was more recent. Is Yesterday, you know, we're coming down and it's a run and we get a steal and the game's, I think we're tied or Colson, I want to run a play, and the ball kind of gets tipped out, and we're running down the court. And uh, one of my players, Tegan, has the ball at the top of the key, and I'm yelling, pull it out, run a play, and she catches it, and nobody's guarding her, and she fires it, fires up a three-pointer and hits net. You know, and uh, I think she just had a good feel. She knew that she could hit that shot when she was open, and she took it. So a lot of it's on the players. These guys do a great job of – of really having the feel of the game and making the plays and doing it. And, uh, you know, maybe it's all those times in practice where you stop and say, hey, you need to do it this way, you need to look this way, you need to do that. Maybe all the film sessions with them, all that just pays off, you know, um, right then. But you have to make plays in this tournament. To win, you have to make plays because all these teams, can pl- they all can play. They, they all have talent. You just have to be able to execute and really play your game. So as an ASU grad, Judd, I absolutely hate all things University of Arizona. <laughs> you beat them, I'll give you five bucks. Yeah, you don't like them too much, do you? No, so you need to win this next game and send those losers home. Well, it'll be nice. I think uh, <laughs> we, have a, we have a good chance of beating them. I think we match up pretty well with them. They, they have a really good point guard. They'll probably be in the top eight of the draft. Um, just a total jet. Um, just really fast, and, and, you know, she gets the basket and creates a lot of problems. Um, we're just going to have to do a good job with that. But um, we've kind of played a couple of people like that over the years, so hopefully my team can, can adjust to that. So I'm curious, in the men's game, we're seeing in this NCAA tournament, we are clearly seeing a generation of players who've watched Steph Curry and Damian Lillard shoot logo threes, and now they're out there shooting logo threes in multiple games. Is that happening in the women's game, too? Is the shooting getting, yeah. you're the shot doctor, is the shooting yeah. getting better? Are they imitating yeah. who they see on TV? Yes, I think, I think generations see certain people, and I think he, Steph Curry's changed a lot in the last four or five years. A lot of these kids are looking to shoot the ball more outside. 
and they're trying to do the things that the NBA guys do. And that's, that's, that's interesting because, you know, um, every generation, it kind of, it's kind of different. Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and now it's Steph Curry. And I'm sure it'll be different. It'll even be different after, in a while after that. But, um, these girls watch, let me tell you, these girls watch basketball. You know, a lot of them think, oh, they don't watch it. No, they watch it. They're probably more junkies than the guys sometimes. So, but you know, it's, it's, uh, the game's changed. The game's changed a lot. I still think, though, the women's game is a little bit more what it was 10, maybe 12 years ago in college basketball, and that is they're, they are there's some really good teams that got inside presence that are very, very good. And, you know, most of, most of the good teams have that now. You know, it's not just all shooting threes, but um, these kids can fire it. I mean, you got to watch that kid. The kid from Iowa – and the kid from, from UConn, the freshmen, are unbelievable. And even the kid that I have on my team, Shaley Gonzalez, is just the way that they can play and how they do it is just it's just amazing. Money free throws down the stretch by her. Uh, I wanted to uh, hit you up as far as University of Utah men's team because you're a distinguished alumni of the program. There's no question about that. This position is open right now. Uh, a two-parter, what would you like to see as far as the credentials of a head coach, and what do you think about Alex Jensen? Well, I think Alex would be a great choice. I mean, of course, he played at Utah, was on probably some of the best teams Utah's had. Um, he's, he's done his, he's done his, his hard work and he's paid the price. You know, he's been around a lot of, a lot of good coaches that can help him. I know with me, I had a lot of people that helped me through the way. And I know that he, he's had the same and being under coach Snyder, I think it's helped him see some things and being his right hand man. I think also he, he would recruit well because he loves Utah. He loves the program. He loves Salt Lake City, and so it's really easy to sell something that you really have passion for. And then I think probably the third thing is is that uh, you know he has he's he's got a he's got a really good nationality where he can he can he can recruit all over the country. He only played overseas for a while, so I'm sure he's got connections there with people. Um, if he gets the job, the big thing is what Rick did, and I'm not trying to to my horn or whatever, but when Rick got the job, he was smart. You know, he hired good assistant coaches that really recruited the players that he needed. You know, you got you to gotta recruit in-state. You got to recruit that kind of player. You got to recruit in California. You got to probably recruit now uh, overseas, and you got you probably got to recruit, um, you know, probably in Texas. Texas, you know, it's, it's a little harder to go back east and get kids to come. But it does happen, but it's a lot harder, and that's what Majerus did. He got coaches that, that were good in those areas, and I think that that's what Alex has got to do if he gets the job. I don't want to go. Uh, it's a wonderful life, and all uh, you know, Alex is Jimmy Stewart, George Bailey. But we've all seen the movie, and this guy's going to leave the small time and go to the big time. And, you know, shoot for the stars, and he keeps getting pulled back into the small town to make life better there. Alex has got a dream of being an NBA head coach. I think a lot of people have heard that and believe it. You had a dream for how your career was going, and it went a different way. And you've stayed there 20 years because it's fulfilling. So if Alex has the nightmare scenario, and PK and I both lived it, and it's stressful where two people want you to do something and you can only do one of them, 
what would you tell him about chasing your dreams, which we're all taught as a good thing and all that, and yet what you got here is special. Don't overlook that just because it doesn't have as much sizzle. You've lived it. What would you tell him? Um, I would tell him that you do a job and you take a job that you're going to enjoy, that every day you get up in the morning and you're you're ready to go to work. And I think Alex has a little different than anybody else. He's got a family and he's got two kids. And, and you know, I think his wife has been very lucky to be in Salt Lake City with him at the Jazz where she'd be, she's got family, her family's from, from uh, Provo, and so I think she's close. And so when he's gone all the time, she's got people she can do things with. Let me tell you, people don't realize this. One year in the NBA is like four or five years in college travel-wise. Yeah, you're still going on charter flights. and You're still doing that. But the bottom line is you're still gone. And um, I think it's hard. It's a hard life. And it's, it's a hard life to have a family, and it's a hard life – to really have a good relationship. And I think you have to weigh what's important to you. And I think Utah will pay him good enough money that he feels that, that it's worth it. I know he's, his, he, I'm sure he has a dream of coaching the NBA, but it's, you know, one year you're good, one year you're bad and you're fired. And that's, that's a kind of, kind of uh, situation that is. And I'm not saying that's bad, but that's just kind of, kind of what it has to be. And, I guess what I can say, David, it's the same with you. You probably have had many opportunities to go in a bigger market, be able to be a sportscaster in a bigger market, but you probably have made a choice that you like where you are, you enjoy what you're doing, and the same thing happened to me. There's no question, you know, I thought I'd be coaching the men's team and all that, but I've been with I've been with, with BYU for 20 years. It's been great. I've coached some really, really good players, and – it's basketball, no matter no matter if I'm coaching BYU women's basketball team or I'm coaching somewhere else, it, it's basketball, and it's something that I totally love. And um, I'll tell you, my team, they work hard. They work just as hard as I, when I coach the men at Utah. They're just as dedicated as they were in Utah. Um, so, you know, I just think you got to do what you think is best for you and, and your family. It's Sometimes it's easy to make decisions for yourself, but you gotta look you gotta put your family in this and I'm sure Alex is that way. Alex is a very <clears throat> if he decides to take this job if it's offered to him, I'm sure he's gonna look at it and try to look at the whole picture and and all that, you know, and, and, and try to make the best decisions for him and his and his family. What are some of the differences between coaching in college and coaching at the pro level? College, you have more control. The players have to respect you more because you can sit them out. You can do things. It's more practice probably, not as many games. So you're doing more teaching. You know, I remember Coach Ruggiero said this to me, and I always thought he was crazy, but he said practice is, is, is more fun than a game. And as assistant coach, the games were, were the fun, and practices were long and long and dreary especially with Coach Ruggiero's for four hours, five hours. But as I've become a head coach, I do enjoy practice as much or more than I do the games because it's teaching and because it's, it's, it's spending time with your team. And I think that is more rewarding almost than anything. So the pros, you don't get that opportunity. As you probably will notice, the pros, the players control it. They control everything now. Back when I played, it wasn't that way. 
But now it's that way now. The players control who's the head coach, who's doing what, who's doing this, who's doing that, and I think that's harder. Um, I'm not saying that a lot of coaches want to be control freaks, but I think they like to be able to know that what they feel and how they do it is what's best for the team. And um, um, the problem is, you know, the Jazz, in my eyes, just watching them and seeing them, they're a very, very close team. And they're they're very respectful. They respect Coach Snyder and his staff, and you can't say that in too many organizations. And I think I think it starts. To tell you the truth, it starts from the ownership first. If you got owners that are that the players respect and know that what they're doing, it kind of it kind of uh, trickles down to the whole to the whole you know, program. And I mean, Alex right now is in a really good situation with the Jazz. I mean, it's probably one of the better franchises to really be part of. Judy, we could probably talk to you for another half hour, but I'm told you have other responsibilities and need to be on your way. We could sit here yeah. and grill you and pick your mind just left and right. I know. It's fun. It reminds me of the old days. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years, Judy. 20 years, 10 NCAA, tri- 10 NCAA trips, and now five times you've won in advance, and we'll be watching to see uh, what happens. And if you get to another Sweet 16, it'd be your third. Good luck, Judy. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and I hope we – Hope we can continue to keep going. I guess we're the only Utah team left, so hopefully we can do it. Good luck, Jetty. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. There's Jeff Judkins, the women's basketball coach at BYU, as he tries to get to the Sweet 16 again with the Cougar women. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Harden against Covington up top, working right, stumbling through to the rim, laid it off the window and in, and he got tripped up and a foul to boot. Griffin against McCullum, backing him in, turns, oh, muscles it right up and in as Blake Griffin used his size and strength to go right through McCullum that time. Johnson, baseline, turnaround, good for Tyler Johnson. Off the 17th assist for James Harden. James Harden, 25 points and 17 assists as the Brooklyn Nets beat the Portland Trailblazers in Portland 116-112. to And of all the numbers in a box score, the one that jumped out at me was James Harden played 40 minutes. That is a lot of minutes. They're going back-to-back, coming in from Portland, late-night arrival, messes up your sleep, all that story we're all familiar with. So we'll see how the Brooklyn Nets do tonight against the Jazz and uh, how ready they are to play, how exhausted they are to play. If they sit more guys, we know Kevin Durant is out. We know Kyrie Irving's not on the trip with Brooklyn because of a family matter. So two of their three stars are out, and the third star just played 40 minutes. Jazz play 11 of the next 14 games at home. Starts tonight with the Nets. The game's at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Our coverage will start with the pregame show at 7 o'clock. For the Jazz, who have a two-game lead in the conference race right now, two games in front of the Suns, this is the chance to pull away, to open up a little separation. Can you see the finish line now? Can you turn it on? you got 30 games to go to lock up the one seed and all the advantages, however big or small they are, that go with that. 
Of course, then you got to take advantage of them in the playoffs, capitalize on those advantages in the playoffs. But it's right there for the Jazz tonight against the Nets. They played the Nets once this year in Brooklyn. They lost. Kyrie Irving went wild. At that point, Durant was out, and and they had not traded for James Harden yet. But the one guy, Kyrie Irving, cut him up. And the Jazz lost that game, and then they lost uh, the next one to the Knicks, and they went 0-2 on that trip to New York earlier this year. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hashtag NBA. Right behind the free throw line is Nikola Jokic. Spins in the paint, little hook shot. That one is up. Oh, he gets it that deep. He's dangerous, isn't he? I mean, you can't really stop it. Now Lewis, alley-oop Zion! Flush it down, baby! Two hands! High hand off. Thunder! Bridges left wing for three. No, off the back iron. Eight in the offensive board. He'll put it up and in. A beautiful jumper from five feet after grabbing the offensive board over Precious Achua. I think I'm the best defender to ever play this game in NBA. 100%. That's my opinion. When I look at all the all the facets that make up the, the defensive side of the ball, I think I am... I think I'm great in every facet that makes up that side of the ball. So I think I'm the best defender to ever play in the NBA. And I stand by that. I'll put myself up against anyone. There's Draymond Green. He believes he's the defensive GOAT. And then you hear the highlights from around the NBA, the games that matter to Jazz fans. The Lakers, without their two stars, are really struggling. They've lost three in a row. The Pelicans beat them 128-111. to Brandon Ingram went for 36. He did whatever he wanted, and the Lakers lose again. They are now four games behind the Jazz. And now the debate, talking to a Laker fan last night, how far will they fall? Will they stay in the top six? Are they going to end up in the play-in game? How long is LeBron out for? Four, five, six weeks? That will probably help determine the answer to all those questions. My turn? If you want, jump in. Well, Draymond Green, he just can't stand to not have attention on him, man. He's got to figure out one way or another to have it directed towards him. Either he's being uh, abused or disrespected or this or that. And I give him credit, man, because he has carved himself out a, a nice career. And he's a, he's a decent player. I don't know that he's the best. Uh, but I was thinking about the Lakers. And, like, two games last night both sucked. I was And the women's games weren't any good. I was searching for anything to find some type of competition, and I couldn't find it. You know, Stanford just beats crap at everybody in the, with the ladies. And who they beat? Oklahoma State, I think, something like that. Uh, I don't even remember. But both the Laker game with the Pelicans and then the Warrior game with the Sixers, neither of them were competitive. And I was wondering, you know, the Lakers, now I'm starting to get nervous that, you know, they'll fall to the Jazz in the first round or, or the second <laughs> round or something. Yes. Because if they've got all their players, which is the two stars at the top, they're really, really good. And I was thinking, how bad are the Lakers? I mean, they really suck without those two guys. And I look at the Jazz, and if you took Gobert and Mitchell out of it, I don't think they'd be near as bad. So I would like to see a playoff. Let's have a deal where you sit out your two guys and we'll set out our two guys. Let's see what happens. I like the Jazz chances there. Those four guys immediately vote against that. Hey, hey. Yeah, but Jazz, games. if I'm a Jazz fan, I'd vote for it. Yeah, you're right. I see where you're going. Yeah, they're a top-heavy team. A top-heavy wins in the NBA until you don't have the top of the team, and then it's a huge problem. It's amazing how bad they are without those guys. And, that, and then Ingram is playing against his former team, so he's going to go off. You know, we've seen that. That's a million times over. They traded him, and I'm sure he would rather be in La La Land and all that stuff, and they would have preferred, he would have preferred they traded Kuzma or whatnot, so he could have been part of it. 
but obviously he's a better player, so he's included in the deal. That's to be expected. But boy, the Lakers—they're just a bad team right now. It just—it it, it helps you, at least for me anyway, appreciate just how good LeBron is because I also think that if. Anthony Davis was playing and just LeBron was out like it was Anthony Davis out and just LeBron was playing they weren't that bad by any, they weren't even close to this bad well my guess and we haven't seen it but so it's just my guess is that if they had Anthony Davis without LeBron they wouldn't be as good as LeBron without Anthony Davis I would assume you're right about that like you said, we haven't seen it over a protracted stretch, so it's hard to know. And I think LeBron had only missed, uh, was it one or two games before he got hurt? I mean, he, he likes to play every night. Oh, I think he took the last game off before, before the, the break. break. Yeah, he didn't yeah. go to Sacramento. You're right. Yeah. So if you look at the standings right now, the Lakers and Clippers are tied for third, but they're also only two games in the loss column in front of the Blazers and Spurs, who are six and seven three in front of the Mavericks. So if you put together a protracted losing streak here, you know, you have you have two more bad weeks. How far do you fall? Lakers in the play-in games because they're down in the seventh or eighth spot. Now, LeBron comes back. He's rested at that point because he hasn't played in a month or six weeks or whatever it turns out to be. Uh, you got to figure they'll go hard at the end of the year and there'll be wins to be had there and, and they'll move back up a little bit. But I mean, the Lakers are basically going to yo-yo in the standings here. How far are they going to fall and how how much are they going to bounce back when they get their guys healthy, assuming they get their guys healthy? I don't think that LeBron needs rest, really. I mean, obviously it can help, but I don't think that he needs it. I mean, I just think that he's just so unbelievable. That he can Mitchell just was talking about Gobert, or who was, uh, Mitchell was talking about Gobert being an animal. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> right? <laughs> he, uh, LeBron is just this ultimate mythical creature. I, I, I really think he's a foreign player. He should be included in a foreign player. I don't think he's of this earth. He's that good. Uh, other scores that matter to Jazz fans, the Suns are second in the West. They're two games behind the Jazz. They beat the Miami Heat 110-100. to DeAndre Ayton, 17 points, 16 boards. Chris Paul directing things, not really scoring much himself. And the Suns get the 10-point win. And so they now have a chance to really lock on to the two-seed and focus on making a run at the top spot. They're two games clear, the Clippers and Lakers now. Yeah, they're starting a four-game road trip, and they started off, obviously, on a, a good note by they had a decent lead. I would have preferred to watch that game along with the uh, Blazers and Nets, but neither of those games were available, and I don't have the NBA package, so I couldn't. Uh, but the Suns, yeah, they continue to roll on, and DeAndre Ayton, he's like a rich man's Greg Ostertag. <laughs> Comes up with some good games, not every now and then, but at the same time, you know, listening to guys down in Phoenix talk about the Suns and all, uh, the rebounding they think that he can do all the time, the offensive uh, numbers, a lot of it is not uh, up to him because they don't really run anything for him. You know, it's Chris Paul and obviously Booker and, and the wings that they've got. It seems like Sarich, who plays backup, gets more opportunities offensively. They're not asking Aiton to do a whole lot offensively at this point. Well, when you get 17 and 16 out of him and you already got a pretty good team, then uh, I like that rich man's Greg Oster tag as opposed to he's a poor man's Michael Jordan or something like that. Yeah. Suns are going back-to-back on that road trip tonight. They, uh, they won in Miami last night. They will play the Magic in Orlando tonight. So we'll see how they handle back-to-back. 
the other games you mentioned, the Warriors got uh, got beat by the Sixers, one hundred eight to ninety eight. Tobias Harris went for twenty five and thirteen in that game. Steph Curry was out, and he's going to miss at least another week as he continues to recover from a bruised tailbone. Uh, he had an MRI; it showed inflammation, so they're going to keep him out for at least four more games. Uh, the Warriors continue to kind of bounce around five hundred. They're right at five hundred right now, twenty two and twenty two, ninth in the West. Uh, Orlando Magic forward Aaron Gordon acknowledged Tuesday he asked the organization for a trade. He's hoping to move in advance of Thursday's trade deadline. says, there's been times where I just expressed my frustration to management, frustration with the losses, the injuries, the way we've been playing, how many losses have accumulated over the years. So just my frustration kind of boiling over, I'd say. I think a lot of people share that sentiment with me of frustration. The Magic are next to last in the East. Again, it seems like they have been really bad. We make fun of the Charlotte Hornets, but... I think even the Hornets have had a little more success than the Magic. And uh, Gordon was a, was a big deal coming out of Arizona. He was uh, supposed to go top four and then slipped. And, uh, or no, I guess with him and Dante Axum, they flipped spots in the, in the draft, and he went to Orlando. It was a bit of a surprise, I guess, was the fourth pick. I think that's how it worked out. But it's never really panned out. You think he can make a contender a lot better? Or is no. he just a guy getting stats on a bad team? He's a decent player. Yeah, uh, he can ma- he can make your team better, but you said a lot better. So Orlando could be moving Aaron Gordon before the deadline. The Houston Rockets are thinking about trading Victor Oladipo. They've engaged with multiple teams on a potential deal ahead of tomorrow's trade deadline. So they're looking for a couple guys and where they might go and who they might bolster. Keep your eye on those guys and let's see what happens. And the Miami Heat announced plans Tuesday to open two sections in the Laurel Bowl only for fully vaccinated fans, starting with the April 1 game against the Warriors. Masks will still be required, even for the vaccinated fans. Social distancing rules will be slightly relaxed in those areas. Heat are the first team to reveal such a plan. Other clubs believe to be working on similar measures. I guess for the vaccinated fans, it would give them some level of uh, confidence. I'm around other vaccinated people, right? People who might otherwise be thinking, I don't know if I want to go in a game and be in a crowd or not, and then to think, ah, I'm vaccinated, they're vaccinated, I'll go. I guess that'd be the mindset. <laughs> you lost me on that. <laughs> vaccinated people don't want to be around people who didn't get the vaccine. They want to be around other vaccinated people. I think oh, the Heat okay. are trying to appeal to them. All right. By putting them in, here, here's a couple sections. I think they're trying to make money. Myself. Yeah, they are, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they agreed. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. We have a good chance of beating them. I think we match up pretty well with them. They have a really good point guard. He'll probably be in the top eight of the draft. Just a total jet, just really fast. And, you know, she gets the basket, creates a lot of problems. We're just going to have to do a good job with that. But we've kind of played a couple of people like that over the years. So hopefully my team can, can adjust to that. That's Jeff Judkins. He joined us on the show yesterday. We replayed that interview for you in the 6 a.m. hour this morning. He's got the BYU women's basketball team in the second round of the NCAA tournament. They're playing third-seeded Arizona, the team PK loves to hate. Tonight, (laughs) 5 o'clock on ESPNU. Juddy clearly had had that conversation with you about 50 times when you threw that out, Juddy. And of all the teams in the tournament, I want to see lose. Arizona, make it happen. That didn't didn't ruffle him at all. He knew. The Arizona University of Arizona women. There's not a group of people I hate more. Okay. <laughs> sure there is. The Arizona football team. 
Okay, group of 70 ladies. to 7. Wear it. No, Wear 70 it. to 7. I actually love you. <laughs> that's your favorite Arizona football team. Yeah, that's my favorite of all time for sure. The bigger I mean, meeting you absorb, the more I like you. That's so typical that uh, you'd have the most bizarre game in the history of the rivalry in the most bizarre season in the history of the rivalry in the history of uh, college football. So, I, obviously, I want Judd to win. He's one of these guys that, you know, you get on in the business and and uh, you end up rooting for. He, he was an assistant at Utah when I first got here in 93 and got to know him at that point. And so I don't care who they play. They could play the Sun Devil women, for that matter, and I would most likely root for him to win because I don't know anybody on the Sun Devil women team. So it's all about it. At this stage, for me, at my point, it's all about relationships that I have with people. And uh, well, I, and I had some conversations yesterday. This is not on the thing here, but I think it's important. Uh, spoken to some alumni. It's a real strong foundation and push for Alex Jensen. Uh, they really want him to get the job, but at the same time, they will respect him if he decides that he needs to be in the NBA and pursue that goal of getting a head coaching job. But at least into some of the alumni that I spoke to yesterday and just sort of uh, you know doing some background work on this thing, he has a lot of support. And you can see why, because he played here, he's a local kid. Yeah, he's you know, obviously a grown man now, but uh, he was he's well liked. He's beloved really by so many of the ex players that uh, I think that if you took a poll and I spoke to a few yesterday, you would find that he is the overwhelming choice. Uh, I don't know if he's going to take it because uh, I still speak to some alumni who say eh, I just don't think that's what he's into right now. I think that he wants to be the NBA head coach wants to go that route. I have not spoken to Alex uh, in a good while, so I don't know what he's thinking there. I just know people around that he speaks to, so we'll see what happens there. When they got together for the 100th anniversary and all the guys, the 100th anniversary of Utah basketball, and all the guys from that era uh, were back, the first thing... 100 years? The first, from his era, the glory days of the 90s. (laughs) Yes. They came from the great beyond, the great basketball court in the sky. Well, he said 100 years, that era. His era being that era, the guys okay. who played in the 90s, who all knew him, the first thing they did was not catch up with each other. There's a whole circle of them talking loudly that everyone could hear about Alex coaching with Majerus and how could he subject himself to that a decade after he escaped it. He must want to coach really bad. And it was admiration. It was wonder. It was laughter because they started going into Majerus stories. But it's also clear the bond all those guys have with him. That uh, that respect you speak of was clear and obvious. Yeah, no question. And also, man, I'm furious at you. I think you need to make a stand now. I've made a stand. I think you need to make a stand. My good friend, Ken Pomeroy, your station is cheating him out of all the work that oh, he does. Oh, CBS and TNT have been ripping him off. Why don't they hire him and put him on the air? Get that stuff firsthand. We've had him on the air. He's good. I mean, he's not the kind of guy you can let in the door just because he's standing there. But once you get him on the air, he's good. I'm furious at you, and you, your station to to reach out to. doesn't give him credit. There's a reason why I, I'm never going to be on Channel 2 again, and that's the very reason. No, it's not the Because reason. you're not giving him credit. Your station, if you had any ethics, you would step aside too until they give him credit. I I've done it. I think you should do it. It's not really how it worked, but nice of you to play it that way. <laughs>
PK wants your number, and I don't know why. But pick up your phone. Oh, yeah, some dude called me the other day. Uh, uh, Patrick Kinahan? Yeah, I'm going to return that call. <laughs> Kinahan? Yeah, uh, yeah, right. I'll, I'll get right on that, uh, ma'am. Yeah, I learned the name. Jeez, show me some kind of respect. Give me a break. NCAA President Mark Emmert has informed a group of basketball players who started the hashtag not NCAA property social media campaign to protest inequities in college sports. That he'll meet him with them after March Madness concludes. Well, Cal's kind of out of the barn at that point, but sure. Thanks, Mark. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. With my understanding that, you know, he's the guy, and, you know, that doesn't scare me away at all. You know, I've seen Sam do great things, and, you know, I have all the belief in him, and, you know, whichever direction they decide to go, it's it's, it's on me to, to make sure that I'm ready, ready to catch from whoever. He's definitely a guy that I, I look forward to working with. You know, he's a, he's a great leader. You know, I've heard a few things from, a, you know, just talking to guys on the team, and, you know, I'm looking forward to playing with him. He's a competitor, and, you know, obviously we can both learn from each other, and we can grow together, so I'm looking forward to it. That's Jets wide receiver Corey Davis as he believes Sam Darnold will be his quarterback. Of course, a lot of people are thinking Zach Wilson is going to go to the Jets and how quickly will he play and will the Jets move Darnold, but Davis thinks they're going to go the other way. Darnold will be there. Of course, if Darnold falters, then six games in, you know, how long did it take Tua Tagovailoa? He started on the bench and six games in. Oh, so you still think they draft Zach Wilson even if they intend to have Sam Darnold as starting quarterback? Sure, yeah, why that, not? That, that's a, well, because that's a completely different situation. You had Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's 37, 38 years of age, and so it was only a matter of time here. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I, why not? I mean, I could list you 5,000 reasons why not. Uh, completely different. Here you have two young kids, basically, because uh, I think Darnold only played two years because he had a red shirt and made himself uh, eligible that way. So you could see the Miami situation, that it was inevitable that Tunga Bailoa was going to get his chance because of the old, just the age of Fitzpatrick here. The Jets have so many needs. Do you blow a high pick? Um, either way, you're blowing a high pick. Yep. You're either blowing the high pick this year or you're blowing the high pick from a couple years back. Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson's lawyer, Rusty Harden, said in a statement that his law firm has strong evidence showing that one of the lawsuits alleging sexual assault is false and that it calls into question the legitimacy of the other cases as well. Harden added that he believes any allegation that Deshaun forced a woman to commit a sexual act is completely false. Watson has 16 suits filed against him. Talked to a friend of mine in L.A. who does celebrity lawyer divorce work. And you were busy talking to the friends yesterday. I was, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and he uh, and he said, I don't know about the cases, you know, what he may have done or, you know, what the ladies claim. He says, but as a lawyer, this guy is way out in front of this case in the media, way out in front of the case, and it makes him doubt the lawyer. So, for what it's worth, someone in the profession. You got lawyer friends, run it by them, PK, see what they think. I'll take a pass on that. Washington football team president Jason Wright said that the WFT name may become their permanent name as they undergo a rebranding, but the team is still seeking fan input on the matter. You got a chance, PK. Make it happen. Go make your case. Well, they should just be the pigskins so they could be the, the skins. If not, then go Washington team football because then it's WTF. And we all want to say that watching them play football anyway. 
Yeah. So I, I'm giving you two choices here. Call yourself the Pigskins, which completely makes total sense to me, or change it to Washington Team Football, and then it's WTF. Either way. Yeah. Those are my two choices. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Oregon State University President F. King Alexander has resigned amid backlash related to his role in the sexual misconduct saga at LSU that involved Les Miles, where he previously served as president during the period when Miles was being investigated. And former AD Joe Oliva recommended that Miles be fired. So Oregon State's going to get a new president over this as the scandal follows him across the country. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr., Padres star shortstop, left the spring training game due to comfort, discomfort in his left non-throwing shoulder. He'll be reevaluated today, according to the franchise. It's been a problem with him on and off for a while, and apparently, PK, he re-aggravated it a couple weeks ago, sliding into home plate. Head first slide into home plate in exhibition games. Please stop that. Stop it. So he went into the hole and threw the ball to first and grabbed the off shoulder, the non-throwing shoulder. Non-throwing, so that's good, but a recurring, not a reoccurring, but a recurring problem, so that's bad. And then they uh, flashed his record, the Padres' record, when he's in the lineup and when he's not in the lineup. That's a guy having a big impact on winning and losing. Well, you would think, yeah. Yeah, like 17 games, uh, or 11 games over 500 when he plays, 1,700 when he sits. So his war is very high? Yeah, his difference, uh, the difference in having him in the lineup is like being the 10th best team in baseball over that span or the 17th, or excuse me, 27th best team in baseball. ESPN had those numbers, and that's a big difference. Sure, yeah, big, huge. But it's his non-throwing shoulder, so at least there's that, but... uh, Maybe he could stop with, the, stop with the head first slides into any base. DH the rest of the spring to get at bats, I guess, because we're down to, what, 10 days? We're getting there the first of the month, right? I think we're eight yeah. days eight out. Days. Yeah. Is that what it is? Today's What's the 24th. Today? 24th, yeah. What is trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing? There's no job too big or too small. and Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up today. We're going to talk with uh, the Utes. They got Utah football availability at 8 o'clock. Assistant coach Sharif Shah, former Ute player, now the assistant coach, will talk at 8 o'clock. Travis Broughton, also among the players expected to speak. 9 o'clock, Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU and Utah hoop staffer. We'll talk Sweet 16 and Utah jazz with him with the jazz playing the Nets tonight. You'll hear Tim. 7 o'clock on the pregame show with Jake Scott tonight, and then the game will tip off at 8 for ESPN. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The question of the day, all about Joe Ingles, next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Number one.
Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Toast brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Signer Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. Question of the day, Joe Ingles. What is going on? What is the deal with Joe Ingles right now? He is playing really well. And PK, you posted a question and you're dealing with a little backlash now. You got people coming at you, which I know is really new for you. You've never never (laughs) dealt with that before. You're just being scolded, though. This is different. This is people talking to you like you're your grandmother and you're wrecking the Sunday dinner for all 40 people who've gathered in the house that's been in the family in Jersey for 100 years. How could you? Man, you're really setting it up nice. Tony, of all people, PK, you should know that you don't talk about the no-hitter while it's in progress. If Joe starts to suck, this is on you. I don't buy it for a second. I stand by your side, PK. Enough with this jinx nonsense. Joe starts to suck while well, he missed some shots. Is that sucking? It's funny how we just boil it down. As much as we try to make the game in- intricate, we boil it down to the ball that goes in the basket for so many of the guys. Now, Gobert obviously is an exception. Uh, and you have some other exceptions, too. I think, I think people Stockton recognize will... Royce O'Neal now. He, okay. He's there okay, to, yeah. he's there to match that. up. There, yeah. There's just I can't say it's every night, but there are too many nights where he takes the best, the the biggest threat on the other team, and he guards that guy. And sometimes that guy is six two, and sometimes that guy is six ten, and it's still Royce. Go get him. And he's also supposed to defensive rebound. You know, Gobert is the first priority to get the board. But if it's not him, then it's Royce. And I think fans are kind of locked into that. Yeah, but at the same time, if he misses a crucial shot in the closing minutes, yep. Yep. he's going to hear about it. So, But I agree with you largely of what you're saying, and there are players like that. Obviously, Rodman uh, would have been in that case. And I think that the traditional, which are not that many of point guards these days, there's just not that many of them, the, the Stockton pass-first guy. I think Chris Paul, you just said it in the prior segment we just mm-hmm. had. He didn't score because nope. his role is not really to score. So people aren't going to crack on him as much if he's not scoring. But so much of it is judged by do the ball go in the basket. And Ingles, the three-point shooting, I mean, I'm not watching every game for sure by any stretch, but I'm watching every game of the Jazz. And the shooting is just, it's unconscious now. I, I, it's, I don't know that I've ever seen it like this. Ever, by anybody. Uh, the other night when he was 5 of 6, and some of the shots were open and really in rhythm, and, and at that point I think a lot of fans have a lot of confidence that the ball is going in. But a couple of them, they were pretty well contested. It didn't bother Joe. He was in rhythm, he was locked in, and he just rose up and drained it. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's just amazing. It's fun to see. I mean, we like Joe, obviously. We developed a relationship with him. We're seven years into this thing. It's incredible. And so we're certainly going to root for him. But he roots for him. I don't know that there's been a more popular jazz player ever to play in this community with all the things that he has done and, and his uh, outgoing nature, his willingness to engage with fans. If you've seen him before games when fans are out there or, or whatever it might be. And he comes off, ironically enough, no pun intended, as a regular Joe 
and he talks about that. And then with the autism and the connection there and the family, he loves to talk about Renee and the kids, and people can identify with that. The identification factor between this man and the fans uh, is just incredible. The Joe Ingles story is just amazing. I mean, it, we've said this a thousand times, and now he's, he's ratcheted up. He is an integral part of of a, the best team record-wise in the league. I mean, that is just amazing, man. You talk about Kevin Garnett with the anything is possible. Yeah, when you're seven feet tall and you have the skill like he has, anything is possible. And so, you know, one millionth of 1% get to fall in that category. And Joe's tall, too. I mean, six seven obviously, is not super tall NBA-wise, but man on the street-wise it is. Uh, but to see where he was and where he's become and where he is now, it – he ought to be giving Clarkson a run for his money for the sixth man award. He certainly is right now, and they don't have a thing for this, but if they had a seventh man, he should win <laughs> going away. This, the seventh man of the year. Are you the second best guy on your team coming off the bench? If so, apply now. Go to seventhmanoftheyear.com. <laughs> Role player of the year. <laughs> well, think about it, man. The seventh man of the year. Well, right? they don't. They this do, guy's incredible. They do both provide the thing you talk about, which is the ball goes in the hoop, and they come off the bench, and they score at an outrageous rate. And most teams don't have the depth. Those guys have to go in the starting lineup if they're going to play like that. So it gives them a leg up to be on a team that has the depth where they really need that on the in the second unit. So that when, you know, a star, when Donovan Mitchell sits down, whoever your star is, whenever your star sits down, whether it's Damian Lillard or Donovan Mitchell or LeBron or whoever, you got to have that scoring punch. And they do it. And the game now is so three heavy. I mean, the best teams shoot the three the best. Now, you've got to do all that other stuff you talk about, all the basketball for dummy stuff, to get the best opportunity to shoot that three. Because even Joe needs to hit some open threes. And get locked in, so he's going to hit those contested threes. And it's really impressive when he hits the contested threes. But if he gets fed a steady diet of contested threes, he's not going five or six for three in a game. He's not doing it. But you look at the, the three-point field goal shooting percentage right now, and the teams that shoot at the best are all the teams at the top. Of the, five of the top six in the West are five of the top eight in the league. Why are they the best teams in the best conference? Because they shoot the three really well. The Clippers are number one in the league right now. The team the Jazz play tonight, the Nets, are number two, and they're second in the East. And the Jazz are third, and the Bucks are fourth, and the Nuggets are fifth. These are all quality teams. The Lakers are the total outlier, and it goes to LeBron's greatness because LeBron just makes them that good. They are not a good three-point shooting team. They're, they're 22nd in the league. But they're the outlier. All the other best teams in the league are really good at shooting the three. And the Lakers... They have LeBron, and he makes everything okay. Yeah. Well, I think that if we're looking for reasons as to why, I think it's so overwhelmingly obvious as to why he is playing so well at 33. It's not like you should be big time on the down side of your career as an NBA player, but I don't know at 33, maybe it's been done that you're having your best season it's not outrageous, so I can't really say it's uh, you, 
look at him, man, we thought the best days were behind him because I think that can vary. As long as you stay injury-free, relatively speaking, there's no reason why you can't be playing great ball at 33. It's not that old, particularly with all the stuff that they have available to these guys today with yep. the training and the diets and travel and all this stuff. So it's not it's not that outrageous to see that happen. But I, I think that I really isolate one specific reason as to why he's playing so well. And that is? Well, I think it's clear now. He's achieved what he really wanted, although he'll never admit it. He finally, after all these years, can say, and I don't know that you can buy this, he's finally been able to say, I have an American-born child. Yeah, save that for when he visits. (laughs) <laughs> and really and build it that, up. That is the really great relief. To be able to have a child who can run for president in the greatest land, <laughs> you can't buy that. And now he has one. AJ, American Jack. American Jack Ingles. Yeah. I mean, it's all set up. I mean, it's, he finally has something that he couldn't get until now. And it's just worked out beautifully. And now that he has an American-born child and he'll have that connection to the greatest land in the world forever, I think it's eased his burden. Well, he's now shooting 50%, right exactly on the money from the three-point line. He's always been a good three-point shooter, and it's improved. Uh, But he's never, not only has he never shot 50%, he's never shot 45 his career best is 44.1. So, he is having his best year. They didn't go home to Melbourne in the offseason. His kid was born here, so you've always got that to fall back on, PK. And you can ride him on that forever. Coincidence? Well, obviously not. If I'm the Jazz now, his value's never been higher. I think about jettisoning him. <laughs> You can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> Just think what you can get. Who doesn't need a 50% three-point shooter? Everybody. Everybody. In the case of Atlanta, <laughs> they need another one. He's one of two guys in the league shooting 50% from three. And and he's shooting in the mid-60s this month. But he and he's, Tony Snell's the guy he's got to catch. But Tony Snell only shoots half as many uh, right, shots as he count. does and, and just bear, a little more than half as many three-pointers. Uh, you know, Joe is out there. He's firing away. That's like a batting average. You got to have a minimum number of plate appearances. Yep. So. And Tony, Tony's got him, but Joe's off the charts. I mean, Joe's shooting five and a half threes a game. Tony Snell's shooting two point seven. So, but Tony Snell's shooting almost fifty seven percent from threes at fifty six eight. So that's a huge number. Joe's second in the league right now, and this month he's shooting in the mid sixties. So mid sixties, <laughs> and this is March twenty fourth. Yes. Yes. Mid sixties. Oh my goodness. He was, That's he was unbelievable. It, he was five of six against Chicago from three in the win. He was five of six against Toronto, and he was eight of ten against the Wizards. So the last three games, that's 18 of 22. That's just absolutely insane. It is. It is. It's awesome. It's just awesome. It's shocking. Those are shocking numbers. And uh, you're not the only one who's getting crushed, though, because he got asked in a postgame, and I can't remember who did it. Uh, but somebody asked him about that stretch, and he said, well, now that you brought it up, I, I won't do it. So thanks for that. <laughs> so he played the jinx superstition card as well. 18 of 22, if he ever does that again, I'd be even more stunned. Yeah, right. 
All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. we got more of you weighing in, more to get to, and we will do it next. The Utes are coming up at 8 o'clock. Sharif Shah, Utah assistant coach, defensive backs. We'll hear from him at 8 o'clock. Stay with us. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hats. Is that right? <laughs> no. Hans. You'd like me to call you Pants. It's <laughs> the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God. Stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you handsome. Is that right? (laughs) That's better than Hans, yeah. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. All right, PK, we got more people uh, weighing in on Joe Ingles and why he is just out of his mind. 18 of 22 from the three-point line in the last three games. Now 50% for the season, which is a career best. Uh, <laughs> Jeff just gives it the old, ah, ball went in the hoop. No. Jim Boylan no. never grows old. Brian says not only is he making threes at an incredible rate, he's making everyone around him better too. Can you see... M, can you say pay, mate? He spells it out. Well done. Benjamin says, ever since he was Grand Marshal for the Alsco Uniforms 300 in Vegas, he's been on fire. Is that what it was? He started a NASCAR race. Okay. That changed everything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> David said, there's some confidence there for sure. He should share some with Bojan because he's got none right now. So Joe's got all of Bojan's mojo. I hadn't thought yeah, about it that way. Yeah. And Dallin says one Vegemite sandwich a day keeps the poor three-point shooting away. Vegemite's nasty. I mean, to shoot 50% in the NBA from the three-point line, I would probably eat a Vegemite sandwich, but that might be the only reason I ate so that sandwich. you paid $60 million for a contract? Yes, I would do it. Too. I would do it, but, but that's what it's going to take. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. Sharif Shah is next. Utah defensive backs coach, stay with us. DJ PK brought to you in part by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on right now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. We're going to hear from the Utes here in a moment. Sharif Shah meeting with the media. He is sitting down right now for uh, his availability. Utah defensive backs coach Sharif Shah. Your desire. We're going to start off with Trevor Allen of KSLSports.com, followed by Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune. Go ahead, Trevor. Good morning, Coach Shaw. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So you you had a very young cornerback group last year, and you know they were able to get five games of reps in there, a very meaningful a, a very meaningful reps. How how crucial was that, especially when they didn't lose any eligibility? Invaluable. You know, because on paper, it'll be the same group only by freshmen, right? That'll be the designation that falls at the end of the name. But in terms of accumulated reps, game time experience, I mean, absolutely invaluable. Because we can talk all day in the film room. We can get out and practice and go against our own guys. But when you have an opportunity to play a real game, make a real tackle, get a PBU, a potential interception, as a young player, it develops and builds confidence that, it's just no substitute for us. So it it really will pay, I think, massive dividends for us going forward. 
Next, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Hey, Sharif, how are you this morning? I'm outstanding. I appreciate it. Good. Um, you know, this is still a young group, but as you just said, they have experience now. Um, how does the dynamic in the room change? You know, they're, they're young, but they have experience now. You know, they have some idea of what they're doing. How does the dynamic of the room change? I think what you try to look for now, even with a young group that has just a little bit of experience, who is going to emerge as that leader? You know, because everybody just can't say, we all can't sit back and say, okay, well, we're all young, we're all young. Now, yes, we have just a little bit of experience, but now I'm looking for and I'm pushing to get a leader out of this young group. And right now I have two guys that are starting to emerge and that's Clark Phillips and Travis Broughton, who I absolutely love. And their leadership, just by how they conduct their business every day, is what's getting exciting. You know, you get practice players, if we go back a few years, or maybe just a year or two ago, to like Jalen Johnson. What people never saw, what you guys probably couldn't appreciate every day, is how hard Jalen practiced. And I loved it. And I, and I pushed him that way. And I said, listen, if you really want to be great on Saturday, be great every single day in practice in every single period of every single rep. And so I'm screaming at him like it's a game in practice. I'm doing the same thing to Travis, the same thing to Clark, wanting them to just recognize that if I'm yelling at you like this, if I have this level of intensity, then the game should be easy. Now demanded from the people that's going to be on the field with you. Require them to do the exact same thing. Open up your mouths and speak. I don't have enough vocal players in my room, and that's what I'm really trying to develop right now. Just to follow that up, you know, you, you say that you want to develop some more vocal players. How, how do you develop something like that where maybe a kid is not super vocal? Can you turn a kid into a vocal player? Absolutely. Absolutely. And first and foremost, you know, and, and guys have laughed at me for years, but when we stand in the indoor – and I'm on one opposite end of the field and I'm making the corner stand on the other opposite end and I'm asking them to give me a call. And they're like, coach, I can't, I have to yell it. There you go. So let's start using your outside voice. We're not in the library, speak up and yell it to me. So you have to train that love, that vocal muscle, make them scream, make them yell because 50, 60, sometimes 70,000 people, it's going, you're going to get drowned out. So if you're not used to, first of all, communicating in a very loud, forceful way, you're not going to help us. It's going to be the worst possible addition to a very young defense to have a quiet secondary player. We have to be able to communicate. So I think that a kid can come into the room very quiet, very bashful, but you can do things to encourage his ability to speak up, you know, and to speak forceful, uh, forcibly so that he can be heard. I need a forceful voice, and that's important. I'm, I'm just telling you, the offenses change, shift motion, and we have to yell at each other. So you can do small things. That's just one of many things that I try to do on the field to try to develop a louder, more vocal group. Next, Bill Riley, ESPN 700, followed by Sammy Mora from The Chronicle. Coach Shaw. Real deal. What's up, baby? Good morning. Uh, Kyle talked the other day about you guys getting back to playing more man-to-man. -man. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious where, where that came. Was there something late in the season? Is it just the development of the offseason and where these guys are now? And the second part of that is how important for the, 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 the DNA of this defense is it that you guys play man-to-man -man defense? 
Oh, Bill, you, you've seen and watched this defense develop, you know, for a number of years now. And I think coaches' desire to go back to playing man-to-man is because you start to get kids who had just a little bit of confidence. You know, you, Coach Scali, I, I love him because he's not only because he's intense like me, but he's incredibly intelligent. So he's always going to put the entire defense in the best position to win. And going into this season, we had to be smart. You know, we had a lot of young guys that were completely untested. So you needed to mix in more zone than we normally would and get them comfortable at pattern matching, knowing high-low compromises, understanding how to go from one look to another look. And then like a quarterback would progress through his read, so does a secondary, you know, and a linebacking core. But as the season, the young season progressed, you started to see some guys get some confidence in their man's coverage skills. Coach Witt and his discerning eyes said, listen, we have now enough reps in that young season to start to push our guys in a way that we didn't want to do or couldn't do last year. So let's get back to our DNA. When you're able to, and to answer the second part of your question, Bill, if you're able to play man coverage, as you know, you're able to do a whole lot with that front. I can, if I have a good lockdown corner or somebody who's developing to a lockdown corner, I may be able to utilize my other defenders in ways that could be suffocating. So man coverage is good for us. It it disrupts the timing between the quarterback and the receiver. And if we're really playing good man coverage, it allows our defensive line to get there a little bit faster. As many times as that quarterback is patting on that ball and we want pat, 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 sack. That's what we like. So that means cover, cover, and cover again. So I just think it's the evolution of what you're starting to see uh, from the young group. And there are so many kids that are starting to develop, whether it's, you know, Malone, Mata Drew Rawls, Zamaya Vaughn. You know, you're just starting to see people get more comfortable playing man coverage and the techniques that we teach. Next, we'll go to Sammy Mora from the Chronicle. Good morning, Coach. Morning. Um, so quick question. So with the kick return game, the only person who's listed on the two deep is Britton Covey. What are the possibilities of seeing someone like Jalen Dixon back in that kickoff return or in that punt return role um, headed into fall? Great question. Uh, I think there will probably be a high likelihood of trying to get one of our other uh, dynamic electric playmakers back there, you know, because Britton is so pivotal to the offense. I mean, we, 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 we want to try to keep him in that offensive set, but God, he does so much for the team. But I have to do a good job of identifying other ball players like a Jalen Dixon, who you mentioned, or Money Parks, you know, people who consistently get the ball in their hands and are absolutely electric. So that's my goal. And to your point, we're definitely trying to develop that secondary person so that we can introduce him early in the season. And I don't know who it's going to be, but top of the list, as you've identified, would be Jalen Dixon, would be a Money Parks. I think some of our uh, young, um, the transfer backs that we've had have experience and also kick returning, whether it's TJ Pledger and also Chris Curry. So we have elite, the good thing, we have some good options. Okay, do we have any more questions for Coach Shaw? All right, thank you very much. All right, there's Sharif Shah, Utah defensive backs coach, assistant coach for the U, former player for the U. As always, he's a talker, as always.
you can count on him. PK, that that group was getting pretty good pretty quick. It'll be really interesting to see how good they are this year and if they're going to merge as the strength of the team because he, we know the D-line and the D-backs are usually the strength of the team, and he just talked about how they play together. You want that quarterback, pat the ball, pat the ball, take the sack. If only I had the skill set, I could have been a great DB because if yelling is required. <laughs> well, you're there you go. You're now. one step you're one step down the road here, PK. <laughs> How are you in the back pedal, PK? <laughs> well, I've had to backpedal from a lot of things I've said over the years. That's two things. That's two. You're rolling. So I'm I'm fairly adept at that. <laughs> Probably wish but you had yelling. a little more height. They like those six three corners. I'm not six three. No, uh, I've never touched six feet. So where it starts to fall I apart. can't help you there. But four, the, five the yelling speed? portion of it. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, there's some there's some deficiencies there. Yeah, yeah. I have four five speed, but it's not in the forty. <laughs> <laughs> Ran a four five fifteen. <laughs> I covered those fifteen yards. <laughs> I could probably get it in the twenty. <laughs> nice. So, so put me in the like red zone defense where you know you don't really need that four or five speed, right? Because you did the field is truncated. So, and if you look at somebody and, and think of my skill then too, because you're down by the end zone, which means either you have depending on how the field is situated, we'll just go with right cycles. You either have the north end zone or the south end zone, so it can get louder. Well, that's where my ability to shout would come even more important. I, I so do, I think in yeah. those circumstances, you know, particularly if you're like inside the 10, I'm your guy. Man, I mean, I could shout with the best of them, as everybody knows. And, and geez, I, I backpedal probably three or four times an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder if the south end zone is going to be even louder. I mean, it could already be loud, but now that it's going to basically be walled off, there were those two, you know, like mm-hmm. escape alleys for the sound. And now they're going to be gone. Yeah, well, as far as the facilities, I mean, I think they've got everything that they need. Yeah, you know, what is it going to bump it to 50 or 55,000? I mean, that, that, that's just plenty it's in, in terms of creating the atmosphere. Now, mm-hmm. sure, it doesn't look as good as the 100,000 and all that, but we're never going to get that. We, that's just not who we are on this side of the country. What's the point? And I, and I, and I think you, you reach the point of uh, what's the point now. I mean, enough is enough. And so once they get this thing done, which is supposed to be done for next season, I mean, they're, they're going to be ready to roll, and the program is in, in, in good shape. It's got all the stuff that it needs to be successful from the perimeter beyond the actual player on the football field. In my mind, they've got that. And so who knows, you know, 10, 15 years from now when uh, Oregon puts up some new thing and, and somehow – uh, learns how to jet fly kids back and forth from uh, uh, <laughs> the Saturday the- morning walk. Everybody's got a <laughs> yeah. jet pack and they're zooming <laughs> past people instead of walking yeah. down the high five and ESPN's got the gnat sound of the cheering. Right. Then the logo yeah. flies in and they talk about the sponsors. <laughs> right. right. And Oregon's so, got kids know. with jet packs zooming in. Right. Then, ah, then you'll have to yeah. get that. We're three years away from Oregon- that decides that they need to what's what's never new is created that we don't know but they really do have everything at this point the stadium's fine it, it's a great game to atmosphere we've all been out on the field a hundred times over when the place is just rocking and you when you're looking up i mean you just see us all people and it just to me it, it's awesome and if they should ever play a day game again 
I mean, it's an unbelievable view and all that stuff. Uh, uh, just, just great. So they got all that stuff, and now all you need to just keep going and, and keep getting the, the players that are going to make a difference for you. And they always seem to do two things. They get the players, they recruit them that are studs, and it's Jalen Johnson is going to be a guy that is a reference point for the next X amount of years, right? Ten. We just heard Sharif Shaw yep. bring him up. And he's always going to be guy. Do you want to be like him? Well, yeah. Even though he's a young kid, it's still these recruits, do you want to be like him? Yeah, of course. And he was a starter from day one as a freshman. He got a degree. He went in the NFL. He was a starter from day one in the NFL. I mean, boy, you check off every box that, that every kid would dream of having. Well, Jalen Johnson's it. And he talks about Sharif who is a great, great talker. He's a great interview. I wish they would make him available all the time because he, he should be talking every day because he sells the program as well as anyone, as far as I'm concerned. And he's so enthusiastic. And, you know, he was a, an attorney, so you got to speak in the courtroom, so he knows how to do that. He's got the educational background, so your moms and dads can point to. I mean, he's a product, came out of went, uh, Dorsey High, uh, played down there for Paul Knox, who was a legendary coach at Dorsey, uh, retired and then went back into coaching at Washington, which is just metaphorically down the street where my wife taught for many, many years at Washington High School. And, and he's still, unless he retired in this funky season that they've got, uh, he's still coaching. So Sharif has so much value to the program, even without drawing up one X and O on, on the chalk, on the grease board, and there's so much value that he can bring to the program. And to say, guys, look at Jalen Johnson, every every segment of practice, blah, 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 blah. If you want to be like him, here's what you need to do. Well, man, that's really, really a powerful message to sell. I coached this kid. I know what he did. I saw that education-wise. Yeah, he got his degree. I got my law degree. Really, it's a complete package as far as I'm concerned, and you can see why they've had such success. And last year, even though it was a crazy year, and it wasn't really even a year as far as football games go, it gave those guys enough significant experience that you would expect them to be that much better this season. I think that expectation is there. I think what he said is true. The one thing they didn't do last year is they didn't get all amped up and play in front of big crowds. And getting amped up can help you. There's no question it can help you push through fatigue and uh, push through in those crucial moments. But also, you know, you get too much adrenaline going and you can make a mistake. And then all the communication stuff he talks about, you know, and with a the crowd there and and rolling their zone coverages and all the other football for dummy stuff that uh, you and I have learned by reading books because we didn't uh, play cornerback. But you still got to be able to execute that as a group in front of a crowd when everyone's going nuts, when your adrenaline's flying. And, and this last season was different for about 20 different reasons. And one of them is you didn't play in front of those crowds. You know, not that you weren't amped up for a game, but it's it's just different when the whole student section is bouncing up and down and the place is roaring and you can barely hear yourself think. Well, that's what he was talking about and the need to yell to communicate and all that stuff. I mean, that wasn't there. The football was there just in the five games, just in a, a short sample. Uh, and even at that, it was somewhat funky. They take the field and SC's already played two games I think it was and this is your first game that'll never happen again I hope not anyway so if I'm a DB in this part of the country 
I absolutely give Utah a look. It doesn't mean you can't go to other places. I mean, Oregon puts guys in the NFL. Really, everybody does in, in the conference. I mean, you, if you want to go to the NFL, just, uh, especially at, at, at a skill position, because in the Pac-12, you just got like the strength isn't necessarily in the interior, but they have skill position players. And they have them in, in spades, really. I mean, just about every team has got a couple of guys at receiver that, you know, they, they have a chance to be really good. They have a chance to be NFL guys. Uh, and so you get to go up against them, and you get to prove your worth against these guys. And a lot of these dudes are NFL quarterbacks. Even if they're not big-time NFL quarterbacks, they make rosters. And they're recognized, and they're being drafted or being signed as free agents and make teams. So the point being that, you know, if you go up against this in this conference, it takes a lot of hits as far as reps and all. But being a DB and a receiver in this conference in a skill position and quarterbacks, I mean, they seem to have a fair amount of them that are pretty doggone good. So you can really test yourself to prove yourself worthy to be in the NFL. So there's a lot of positives there. As far as that goes, and I would suspect this group, I don't know that it could be as good as the last group. And I got to wait for Kyle to talk about it some more because I can remember, and you were probably there too, when he first said that the, the group that they just had that all went into the NFL, mm-hmm. well, three years before they went to the NFL, he said this group can be better than any group that we had. Well, it turned out, if you're judging it by NFL standards and guys are playing the NFL, he's absolutely right. Yeah. And what he said there was 100% true. Now, he has, he said he likes this group. He hasn't given it that praise yet. And maybe he does as it progresses because they were all so brand new last season. He called a shot on that, and I think that you can judge it by the amount that they won, too. And I know winning goes to more than uh, you know just the defensive backfield, obviously. There's so many other position groups that impact winning and losing. But those guys were there for two trips to the Pac-12 title game and 11-win season. So they, they did a lot of winning as they got to be an experienced group. So, And yeah. then you're right about the NFL stuff on top of it, too. I mean, you got clear the NFL was looking at all those guys drooling and couldn't wait to get them. Well, I, the way I look at it is it, certain schools are known for certain things, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for years, tailback you at at at, uh, at SC, obviously, and you look at it. If you're a really good defensive back at BYU, or excuse me, at uh, Utah, and I bring up BYU here in a second, uh, if you're a really good defensive back there, you're probably going to be an NFL guy. It's the same thing with BYU. That's why I mentioned them. Is that if you're a really good tight end at BYU, you're probably going to be an NFL guy. And I use the example of Matt Bushman. Right, he came along that year that they really sucked offensively. What I think his first freshman year is when they were four and nine, but you could see that this kid had skill, right? I mean, it was because for one, you could see this kid because they didn't have a lot of skill, so he stood out because he had skill, so it was easier to see because it wasn't like he was blending in with a ton of skilled players because their offense was awful that season, and then we see now. Well, because he didn't get to play last season because of the uh, injury, the unfortunate injury that he had, you're seeing stuff uh, on social media. Wow, watch out for this kid. Well, the rest of us here, uh, we know if you're a good tight end at BYU, you're probably an NFL kid because they've that's where they've developed guys, right? So it's the same principle here with the defensive backs at Utah. If you're really good there, 
you're probably going to be an NFL kid because I would literally need a program to go and name all of them in the last 10 years. There's no way I would get them all because there's been so many of them that I'm sure I would forget guys. Tight end is a little bit different because it's a one position as opposed to four or five, and most of the time they're in a five defensive back package, so obviously the numbers would multiply much more than tight end. Tight end would be easier because usually the most you're going to have is two out on the field at any given time if you even have that, whereas most of the time you're having five. So the numbers are going to be greater. But the point is that if you're outstanding there, that you will continue to progress along the way and get yourself in the NFL because of so many guys. So I'm excited for this Utah defense. And really I'm excited for the team as a whole to see what they can do. I think partially the excitement is that I'm desperately hoping that everything is normal, that they open training camp when they're supposed to, the end of July, beginning of August, and we're doing all these things that we have done for so many years, and then we have the countdown to the first game on that Thursday, who's against Weber State, and there's the stands are full, and everyone's there. there I don't know if they'll have some grand opening for the south end zone and whatnot, but I'm excited to get in there because I haven't been in there. And, you know, we've been in there many times, but we didn't go last season to see what that looks like and all. And I think that's part of the reason for my excitement. But also, if I strip away from that, I'm excited because I think this team has a chance to contend. Most definitely, I think it has a chance to contend for the South again this next season. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, the trios, the awesome trios, Triggered by something that happened this week. We will get to that next, and we will get your list of awesomeness and the trios next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. So I'm trying to get my phone to not call me Hans. All right, try it again. Don't call me Hans. Okay, what should I call you? Hans. You'd like me to call you Hats. <laughs> is that right? No. <laughs> Hans. You'd like me to call you Pants. <laughs> It's the dumbest thing. Like Lance or Dance. What is my name, Google? Your name is Hans. God, stupid, dumb thing. Could you call me Hans, Ned? You'd like me to call you Handsome. Is that right? Well, it's better than Hans, yeah. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. Davis Vision has given you 1,000 reasons to get rid of those contacts or glasses. That's $1,000 off LASIK. Start your road to better vision at davisvisionmd.com or call them at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. All right, PK, because the games were not competitive on TV last night, there were blowouts in the NBA, there were blowouts in the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, MLB hasn't gotten going yet. You'd have, another 10 days, you'll have baseball games, PK, so you'll have more options. Well, I got baseball games during the day because right, I got the Fox package. But it didn't and, help you at night. Uh, they did have a game on, but, uh, I mean, it is training. Yeah. I watched the Brewers kick the crap out of Walker Bueller, the Dodgers. And he gave up uh, three home runs in a first inning yesterday. <laughs> Save that for the regular season. Beat those guys as much as possible. If you were a Padre fan, I'm sure you would think that. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so one of the questions you put up, you were putting questions up every hour on the hour, so there's plenty of stuff if you want to go <laughs> go debate it, discuss it, 
You, I got to say that uh, these last three, I think you went three for three. Uh, the people have thoroughly embraced the whole what is going on with Joe Ingles debate, and we talked about that in the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, this is interesting. You put one up. Elgin Baylor played on the Lakers team with Jerry West and Will Chamberlain. Who are the best three-player groups in NBA history? And when I started messing around thinking about that, because uh, I thought all the games were blowouts on TV last night too, I started thinking about that, and I started thinking, well, a lot of these three-player groups that I would come up with, because I'm already I'm doing the debate in my head. I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw this out. What's PK going to come back with? And basically, I was coming up with a lot of three-player groups that I didn't feel that good about, and I thought your response would be, oh, come on, Hank Aaron and I combined to hit 755 home runs. Wilton and I combined to score 100 points one night. I mean, the third guy's really got to carry – Maybe not his share of the load. It doesn't have to be split evenly, but he's got to carry a big chunk of the load, you know? And once you say Shaq and Kobe, I mean, I don't want to rip all those other guys' careers. They had nice careers. Heck, doesn't just, matter. Just making it to the NBA is a big deal. So I don't want to dump on these guys, but yeah. you're not Shaq and Kobe. I can't put you in the same breath with those two. Nope. And there's a lot of that in the NBA. The third bowl. Who was the third bowl with. Pippen. Phil Jackson. And, and you're right, Phil Jackson. And so that's what I ran into with a lot of groups. Now, the, here's the thing about Baylor, West, and Wilt. If you want to go career accomplishments with those three guys, it's awesome. But when they were actually together, Elgin Baylor was at the end and was breaking down physically. He played 65 games the last three years they were together. And 54 of those were in one year. And then he had a season he played two games, then he had a season he played nine. So Elgin wasn't Elgin at that point. His body was given out. Now, if you want to go, hey, they played together and here's their career work, well, now it's awesome. And it gets really hard to match them. But I think if you wanted to go, uh, you know, the big three in Miami, it was a short run, but it was a three-player group nonetheless. Uh, no, you I could, think you, you got to put them in there. Yeah, I think you put them in there. I think the Warriors – uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Draymond is now what he was, you know, four, five, six years ago. And man, you put him in there with uh, with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Then, if you want to go, uh, you know, they bring in Durant and put him with Curry and Thompson. You know, there's some three player groups in there, there that are really. I would good. go Durant over Green. Right, but I'm talking about the two years before Durant got there. Sure, I, right, you know, but if, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But if you want to rank those two, say, okay, Warriors, you got two groups in our final thing, and I'm going to rank the Durant group higher, I think I'm with you, and most people are with you. How about the uh, who the TMZ or the Run that, TMZ? They're up here. One of our listeners hit us up with that. Brian Lopez says, maybe not one of the best, but one of the most fun was Run TMC. Tim Hardaway, Mitch, Rich, Mitch Richmond, and Chris Mullen. And that was a team and a coach. Ahead of their time, they were built more for the rules in this era than in that era. They never had a, a center to go with them. Uh, in an era never when, had one. I know. In an era when you really needed a dominant big, they didn't. And those three guys would have embraced the three-point shot now and the green light to go shoot five, six, seven of it, what, you know, ten a game, whatever. They would have embraced that and they would have been good at it. Those guys could all really shoot it. And they all handled the ball pretty well, too. If you want to go – Positionless, I don't know that Mullen was really a point guard, but, man, he handled the ball pretty well for a wing guy. Yeah, they were dynamic. Yeah. I think they they at least deserve uh, uh, others receiving consideration. Yeah. Um, Jeff, John, and Carl are among this group, Thomas says. 
Uh, Tyson wants to go Joe Rudy and Don. Well, they got to get out of the first round, guys. When you thought Joe Rudy, I thought of uh, the Oakland A's. <laughs> nice. Old school. You said Joe Rudy? Yeah. I think of Joe Rudy, Reggie Jackson. Yeah, and, uh, right. Yeah. Those <laughs> green, three those green and white, series, didn't they? Those green and white uniforms were sweet. They did. They did. They won three in a row. Yeah. If you're going to go uh, baseball. And they got broken uh, up by money. They might have been able to do more. Smoltz, uh, Glavin, and uh, some guy named Maddox. Oh, I like it. <laughs> well, then if you're going to go football, we're going to hear from Cowboy fans with the triplets, right? Of course. You're going to get Aikman and yeah, Emmett Smith, Smith and, and Michael Irvin. Yeah, and there were, they ranked right there with anybody. You know what's interesting is that you will go, and we'll, we'll be here local, so we'll go with the statues, and we'll go the statues with Hornacek because – they got to the NBA Finals twice. Mm-hmm. But there's two guys that I just don't think get, even though one of them has his jersey retired, get the respect. Because I would go ahead of the statues in Hornacek. I'd go the statues in Thurl. That was a really good group. Uh, I think the, the argument there will be they didn't, and Thurl can call and, and yell at me. He likes to do that anyway, so this would be great. Thurl, light me up. But the problem is they didn't win enough playoff series. And I don't know if that falls on Thurl. You could say that John and Carl at that point in the career. But, man, the year they had in 88 and when the way they, they pushed the Lakers. The Lakers that 88. That no, what, what round? Second round. It was second Okay. Round. That was, uh, and they could have been good enough. I, uh, I totally get that. I think I think the Utes, Van Horn, and Kentucky. It's the same story. When there's one dominant team, how far you go depends on when you draw the dominant team. I mean, they didn't go to the Final Four with Van Horn, right? Because they drew Kentucky in the round of sixteen and the round of eight. The year they went, Kentucky was on the other side of the bracket and they didn't see them till the final. You know, if they if the if the bracket had been set up differently, maybe they would have gone to the Final Four the year before because they didn't have to play Kentucky. Kentucky was the only team that was beating them. They were handling literally everybody else. And so you could make that argument that the, that the Jazz, Jazz get their uh, right. They and and the ahead. argument would be that Stockton and Malone, the best team, the Bulls, the guy, Jordan was in the other conference, so they didn't see him till the finals. And whereas in an 88, the guy was in your conference and you happened to hit him in the second round. If Magic had been in right. the East, maybe you wouldn't have gotten knocked out until the finals and Stockton alone could have gone out in the second round if they'd been in the same conference with Jordan. So there's a certain amount of when do you draw the dominant team? Because the thing that group really has going for it is that they took the champ to seven games, which the Stockton, Malone, Hornacek group didn't do. And Magic got pushed to seven games three times. You could argue who's two, three, and four they didn't play each other. They all ran into the Lakers and took them to seven, and the Lakers won game seven every time. And that was the greatest team of all time. <laughs> there it is. That's the argument. The thing that hurts them, and the reason when you say they're overlooked, and they are, is because the Hornacek group went to the conference finals four times and the yeah. NBA finals twice. And well, the Jazz only just, have six conference finals appearance only. It's uh, not the group. It's the individual. Right. I think Thurl is the most underrated Jazz player of all time. And I think Mark Eaton is the second most underrated jazz player of all time. Certainly in Utah. I don't know about the Chuck Robinson days in New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, but those teams are terrible. So and The only reason why I know about Chuck Robinson is because he was hailed as the savior uh, when I was living in Phoenix when they got Chuck Robinson and he was traded. And uh, the Suns crowd, the Suns fans were going nuts about Truck Robinson, and then he'd always just 
disappear in the playoffs. Don't think uh, I know Truck Robinson if you if I saw a video of him playing or if I if he walked through the door right now. Which of these ten guys is Truck Robinson? Uh oh, I don't know. Yeah. I know him because cool his name nickname. his name yeah. is Truck, and so I remember that name when I was Leonard. a kid. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. I was just used to seeing Truck in story in game stories and it's like magic right exactly and then i'm flipping through a jazz media guide killing time uh and there it is truck i'm like ah i remember that name from my childhood yeah so other than that i don't remember anybody else with new orleans but i think well, those Maravich. two <laughs> you uh, remember but i don't remember him doing anything That's oh i don't either I, yeah right yeah at least i remember truck robinson doing something uh here i think thorough is underappreciated. I would put for me, and I. Everybody knows I have a man crush on Jeff, uh, and Jeff and Joe, they're my guys, and I would still I would go with Thurl, but he doesn't get the run as the third wing or third yeah. wheel, whatever that expression is, in there. But there's plenty of others out there that that could be up there. I mean, I would go for Boston, Garnett. Pierce and Ray Allen. That's a good threesome. Yeah, I was thinking the Celtics' great teams in the '80s. It was it was Bird, but then the other four guys were all good. I didn't know how to carve yeah. which three guys to carve out of them. I, I think you got to go that front line: McHale and Parrish and Bird, and just leave uh, Ainge and DJ out. And that's no knock on any of those guys, right? I mean, and you're obviously leaving Scotty Wedman out too. I am. And who can and, forget ML, ML Carr waving the towel? Yes, <laughs> but I think you go – McHale, in his own right, was an absolute superstar. And Robert Parrish is maybe just a skosh, a hair below that. Agreed. But Chief, Chief was all that. I mean, he was really good. He the, Those guys didn't pile up the stats because you had the two, who I believe, superstars, without question, McHale and Bird. Dennis Johnson. I mean, I think Larry Bird called Dennis Johnson the best player he's ever played with. Right, and that's why I had a problem picking three. Because Parrish didn't have the celebrity sizzle of Kareem and the signature skyhook move, but the only way the Celtics were winning all those championships, the only way that they could compete with the Lakers, I mean, Bird had to be just about as good as Magic if they were going to have a chance to win. He couldn't have Magic dominating the game. He had to match him if they were going to win, and you had to do the same thing with Kareem. So even if you're not Kareem, if you're 90% of your Kareem, Kareem, you're an awesome player. So... And Parrish, I think, goes into that thorough argument. If you want someone whose rep isn't as good as what they actually produced and who needs to, you know, give them a second look, you're undervaluing this player. I think Robert Parrish is somebody in NBA history you ought to go to. But well, it's like I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, so like you said, when you're playing next to Bird, he's going to get the stats, though, and he's going to get all the celebrity. I'm partial to Dennis Johnson because he's from Pedro. There you go. Well, I really did think of that as a five-man unit. When I was thinking about the Celtics on this question, I was thinking, I don't know how you break those. I don't know which three to break out of there. You know, And the front line, probably as good an argument as any. Um, yeah, but, Ainge, but Ainge Ainge won so many places Ainge, he went. Decent. I mean, he was contributing a lot to winning. The, Cel- the, the Blazers uh, had been to the finals. Am I missing something? The Blazers have been to the finals once since they won it all with Walton. And it was that team, and he was on it, and they lost to the Bulls and Jordan. And then he went to Phoenix, and, and they went to the finals for the, the only time in the last 45 years. So Ainge must have been bringing something. You know, he wasn't getting lucky everywhere. He couldn't turn the Kings around. But I think he was bringing could. the opening prayer. There it is. <laughs> All right, if you've got a trio, um, 
If you got a three-player group, somebody you really uh, uh, Ben says Jose Ortiz and two others. Oh, Ben's going for comedy. Now Jose Ortiz was on that 1988-89 team. Jose Ortiz, Bob Hansen, and Mark Averoni, or do you prefer Eric Lechner? Lechner, got to go. Got to go with the Wyoming guy, right? Now Daryl Griffith was on that team too. I don't remember him doing much. At least they list him. I'm looking at a roster right now. He was on that uh, 88, 89 team. I just remember that series so well because I'm I was covering it, living down there in Los Angeles, and and thinking, man, this little white dude, number twelve, he can play. He's unbelievable. <laughs> he had like a, I'd have to go back and look it up. But he had some like a 28, 24 game. Can you can you imagine? If Donovan Mitchell went out and had 28 points and 24 and assists, what the show would be like the next morning coming in. And and Stockton did that against the Lakers and Magic in their prime, literally against a championship team in the playoffs. The thing I remember about that series in Santa Barbara, and I mean, because I liked basketball, I loved the way the Lakers played, but I didn't have any emotional attachment to them as a fan. It's like the Kansas City Chiefs now. I like the way they play, so I'll watch them and I find them entertaining, but I'm not, oh, not, no, I'm not man, buying you're, jerseys. You're jealous of L.A. That's, come oh, on, yeah, absolutely. Put that in. Yeah, without question. You, you, but, you left out an integral part. But I can walk, story. but I, with that Laker team, I can walk right past it. They were so much fun to watch and they were so good, but I was surrounded by Laker homers, the jersey buying, Laker loving fan. And that, what I remember about the series is that was one of the few times they were actually scared when they weren't playing the Celtics. Most playoff series, it was how many are they going to win in? And that they team, were scared. They actually that team that team scared Laker fans, not the oh, Laker fa- team. Oh, okay, gotcha, but the Laker gotcha. fans in Santa Barbara had real fear in that series. Like, oh, crap, we might lose this. And they didn't have they didn't have that against Dallas in the next round. They never trailed. The home team won every game in that series, and they always felt like they were going to do it. But they got down to the series, and they were worried. In Game Five, they were worried. I but would, Magic I would, made it all okay. I would increase it to petrified. I don't think they were petrified. If they were in the forest, they would be a petrified forest. Okay, thank you for that. If <laughs> <laughs> well, a like... tree falls in Santa Barbara and everybody's at the beach, <laughs> who hears it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no trees on the mesa. <laughs> right. Got to be over by the mission. Yeah. Okay, that's Santa Barbara geography. Never mind. All right, when we come back, uh, I mentioned PK was very, very busy. I don't know. Do we want to blow this question today, or do we want to? Do we want to save? Remember it? what it is. You don't. It's I'll a good. It it's you. a good college football question. I think we're going to. Oh, save now it. I do. Now I. Yeah, do. I think we're going to save it. That's a good okay. question. I like it. Okay. okay. All right, okay. DJ PK. We've got Tim Lacombe coming up. Jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU and Utah. Hoop staff member, we can talk Sweet 16 with him and the Jazz playing the Brooklyn Nets tonight. And we will get to the Jazz question of the day and the Jazz and the Nets tonight. If you have not looked at the scores and the box score from last night, there's two things you need to know about the Nets. And we will tell you about them next. Stay with us. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. 
Dan Dickow is with us talking a little college hoop. Dan, how good of a job is the vacant Utah head coaching job? I think it's a really good job. Salt Lake City is an underrated city in my estimation. I, I really like that city. You know, obviously I've been there a number of times. I was disappointed they let Coach Kristoviak go because I think he has done a really good job. I do know he hasn't gotten that big run that maybe a lot of people or alumni or boosters and fans would want. But if you look at the landscape of the Pac-12, what teams have done that until this year? You know, so I was disappointed to see that happen, but that's the nature of college sports. I'm sure he'll find an opportunity somewhere good because he is a really good coach. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. The store has grab-and-go meals and hundreds of local products. The store has two locations in Holiday, 6200 South and 2050 East. And also downtown, the Gateway Mall in downtown Salt Lake. That's the store. All right, multiple questions of the day up on our Facebook page. What is going on with Joe Ingles? What is the deal? He is, I drug test him. He is 18 of 22 from the three-point arc in the last three games. This is incredible. That's 81%. Nobody shoots. There, there's a lot of guys in the league who can't shoot 81% unguarded at the free throw line. You can stop the oh, game and yeah, hand them the ball, and they can't do it. I mean, some guys You're can. Right. But a lot of guys can't. And Joe's shooting 81% from three over the last three games. (laughs) Joe is out of his tree. He's out of his mind. Give me an expression for Joe Ingles. He's shooting 50% for the season, which is second in the NBA. A career high. He's doing it on a much better team. And he's a career high by many points. 44.1 is his previous career high. Yeah. And now he's at 50. I think uh, Corver set the league record was 53 or something like that, and that could Corver fall shooter, this year. Yeah. And shooter, and good thing about Corver, uh, I love the dude, but he's basically a one-trick pony. Oh, he's there to shoot the ball, whereas Joe yeah. runs the pick and roll and distributes right. it as well. And he scores going to the hoop. Uh, he scores, well, I don't, I'd have to compare yeah. the numbers, but off the top of my head, I'm thinking he's scoring way more points going to the hoop than Kyle Korver ever did. Kyle Korver's job was to get to the three-point line and spread the floor so other guys could drive. Nobody was looking. I mean, the defense wanted right. him to put the ball on the floor. They begged him to put the ball on the floor. And that's no knock against him because he nope. had an illustrious NBA career. Absolutely. Uh, but Joe is more diversified in his game, too. And that's the great thing about it is that when you think of Joe and the reason that I thought he would get out on the floor when he first got with the team is that I thought that guys loved to play with him because he could set you up. Yep. And I and to me, as I watched Joe and studied Joe play and then got to know him a little bit and talked with him and found out how much he enjoyed passing, I thought that he had the ability, as the ball was coming to him, to see it uh, sort of uh, maybe a step ahead, a second ahead of developing that, uh, like Stockton would do, he'd be able to see it actually before it occurred, in a sense. And I think Joe... Uh, he, as the ball was coming to him as a pass, he would be thinking, okay, who's open? Who can I get the ball to? That's why I'll think of him. Now he's changed that dynamic to now this, this killer three-point shooter. Uh, I don't, can, can you take anything that can make you a better shooter? Is there something you can ingest? <laughs> I've noticed Joe's head's getting bigger than it used to be, kind of uh, like Barry Bonds. You know what I, I mean? I don't think it works and that Mark way. Mark McGuire, he came back one year, and he was just this Amazon of a dude and Jose Canseco, right? The Bash brothers, well, we know what they were bashing. Uh, they were getting the vaccine before the vaccine was needed. 
according to Jose in his uh, groundbreaking book, right? Guys getting shot in the butt. Yep, uh, taking turns shooting each other in the butt in the bathroom. Couldn't have been yeah. more. Could have been more glorious. <laughs> and, and we've seen the size of uh, Barry Bonds, how he transformed. And that he was it's, wearing like a size oh twelve and a half cap. It's laughable to see a, the pirate Barry Bonds, <laughs> and even the early San Francisco Giant. I mean, he was the the thing I always give Barry Bonds credit for, even though I don't like him. And then you can go back to all the San Diego jealousy thing, and I'll just plead guilty to it. Uh, but the thing I give him credit for is, although you did it, you were one of the last ones into the pool. And if they had cracked down on it like they should have earlier, you would have never done it. You know, you were tempted after watching other guys do it for multiple years. You're like, I'm better than these guys. I'm sick of them getting all the credit, all the fame, all the glory, all the money. And I know I'm better than these guys. Screw it. I'm doing it too. And I really think Barry waited. I have to go back and look at his stats. But three, four years and finally was like, all right, I'm doing it. Which is why I don't really blame him. It's another story. He needs to take a lot less heat than other guys. I, he can take some he was a jerk to everybody. That's the problem. He was so unlikable. I mean, I can tell you, I knew guys who played with him at Arizona State. Yeah. And I heard stories back then. Yeah, way before he blew up. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where I lived in my apartment, literally, they called it, it was east of campus and, you know, west on the west side of the valley. It was Sun City. And it was all these apartments east of campus. And they used to call it Sin City, the takeoff of Sun City. But anyway, right next door were three guys on the baseball team. <laughs> literally lived right next door to me. So, I mean, obviously I got to know them, and I'm a huge baseball guy. I used to – I had Sun Devil season tickets as a kid. Uh, and then if you played baseball, they gave them to you for free. Uh, not that they were ever going to be interested in a 200-hitter uh, with no power who played <laughs> the, third base. The thing is, to get around NCAA rules, they had to give them to all the kids so they could get the kids yeah. they really wanted to the games. Yeah. So you benefited yeah. from went. the NCAA rules. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I went regularly. Mama didn't raise And then football. I was a student there, and I was living in Sin City. It was less than a mile away. So I went all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every series on Sunday, I was there for sure. But anyway, uh, Joe... Is, you, you, if anything, I don't think that stuff works because basketball, we've never heard anything about it. But it's just amazing how how much more proficient he's gotten. It, it's like it, it's now to the point where the announcers are laughing. Joe hits another three. Can you believe this guy? No. <laughs> and I do it at home. <laughs> I tell my wife, my, I scream out there, Joe just hit another three. <laughs> You're doing a lot of yelling at the old house. It's well, I'm downstairs, she's upstairs. And now it's getting to the point where she's now starting to watch regular season. She'll watch playoffs, but she's starting to watch regular season a little bit more because it's like, Joe, Joe's shooting the ball, man. Is it going to go in again? No, I can't believe it. It's going in again. It's just amazing the rate in which he's making these threes. I mean, for a goofball who's so unathletic and slow and really oh, okay. doesn't even belong in the league, okay. I think he's driving his he's driving his kids to. Oh, nice, nice, good timing. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, Joe, are you running around with a bandage on your head? I mean, how's anyone supposed to take that seriously? He loves the bandage story. Blood dripping down. Yeah. He hates the bandage story. <laughs> he freaking, I think we ought to put a statue of him on top of the stairs with his arms in the rays like they do in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Give him the Rocky pose. Yeah. I think one thing that's happened with him and with all the guys from three, it's one of those things that uh, it's like hitting in baseball. I'm going to speak your language. It's like putting in golf. When you see other people making putts, are you more likely to make a putt? When other guys are getting hits, are you more likely to get a hit? And 
everyone's like, hey, if that guy can shoot the three, I can shoot it too. Because we've been doing this show long enough. I used to talk to you about how there's almost 30 guys in the league who can shoot 40% from three. There's almost one for one per team. You better have one on your team if you're going to be good. And if you're going to be really good, you should have two. You need to have more than the other guys. And now we've gotten to the point this year, there's 50 guys in the league shooting 40% from three. I think they're all seeing like, hey, I got to get out there and shoot my 100, 250, 500 a day, whatever. Oh, yeah, they they're getting shoot. better at it because it's yeah. more prevalent. It's more prevalent. They realize if that guy can do it, I can do it too. People are working harder at it. I mean, Joe, on a serious note, when he wasn't ripping the media for jinxing him by bringing it up, which, by the way, is what a lot of our listeners did on the Facebook page to you because you're jinxing you because you brought it up. But this isn't, this isn't about superstition, magic. I mean, 18 of 22 is a hot streak. No, We're not at the point where anyone's going to be sustaining that. So he's going to have to cool off from that. But shooting 45% from three, there's now eight guys in the league doing it. You know, a few years right. ago, if you did that, you led the league. And now there's eight guys. Yeah. But more people well, are putting sense, in the though. time. And Joe went into how he's changed his release point. He was in the gym during the pandemic, and they couldn't have – normally there'll be someone passing you the ball, working with you on your shot, and there'll be two or three uh, employees, um, you know, ball boys, uh, rebounding all these shots, right? Well, because of, he was going into how with the protocol, they couldn't have five people in the gym. They could only have two. And so, you know, credit the poor guy who's got to work with him on a shot and chase shots all over the place. Uh, but it's clear the repetition matters. And that's why 50 guys are shooting 40% from well, three. practice that's, matters. Yeah. And now we get two guys shooting 50%. Joe's at 50, and Tony Snell in Atlanta is at 56.8. And he's only shooting half the three-pointers Joe is. He's not, he's not doing the volume Joe is doing. Joe's, that's the, what it's called, the work. And you've yeah. got to put the work in. Yep. The problem with me is I was always the last guy in the gym and the first to leave. <laughs> and that got you into a career in talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> Last in, first really. out. <laughs> that was always me, man. <laughs> what time does practice start? Okay, I'm not going to be there a minute too soon. What time's it over? I'm gone. I'm gone. If you want me to stay longer, let's have longer practices. You're Don't Charles me. Barkley. You set it up. You're Charles Barkley in Houston. Charles, you're not playing any defense. Listen, they pay me $2 million. I get $1 million to score, and I get $1 million to rebound. You want me to defend? You better give me another million dollars. Great line. But there's a reason to win a championship. Because all this offense we're talking, the Jazz are undefeated when they hold teams under 100 points. They are now 24-1 and when they hold teams under 110 points. If you defend, everything's going to work out. And I we can talk about Joe's offense, su- but Joe, right after Royce, gets some pretty difficult defensive assignments to of himself. To be successful in anything, it's about putting in the time. Putting in the time really to work. I believe that. Yep. And that's the only reason I've had any level of success. It's got a work ethic from my father, and I, didn't, I never want to embarrass him. And he told me, give it all you got. I don't care what job you got, give it all you got. If you want to move up, that's the only way you're going to move up is to give it all you got because I ain't got no family name that's going to help you, and I got no connections. And the business I'm, I'm in, you don't want to be in, and he was absolutely right. And I think that that's the way it works. I tell that story of Lee Trevino. He shows up at a pro-am at like 8.30 in the morning, sees some guy in a sand trap. He leaves at 4.30. The guy's still out there. He goes out there, finds out who it is. is Jordan Spieth. It's, it's a work ethic, and Joe's talked about that. He's put up the shots, and now he's reaping the benefits of the hard work. That's the way it is. There's really no mystery. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim Lacombe, Jazz Radio Studio Analyst, former BYU and Utah Hoops staff member, joins us next. Stay with us. We have-
JPK brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Oh, yeah. Boom! Time to welcome in Tim Lacombe, jazz radio studio analyst, former BYU assistant coach. He was on Rickman Jarris' staff at the U. Now you hear him on the jazz pre-half and post-game. With Jake, he will be there tonight, 7 o'clock. The Jazz and the Nets, the game tips at 8. Tim, good morning. I love those 8 o'clock tips. I cannot get enough of them, especially for home game. It's just awesome. I believe there's There's a little bit of sarcasm uh, in the mix here. Nothing like I-15 at 1 in the morning. It's awesome. (laughs) All right, so looking at the box score from the Brooklyn Nets game in Portland last night, couple things jump out at you. One, the Nets won without two of their three stars. Uh, they got the victory in Portland, so there's that. And then the second thing is Harden had to play 40 minutes to get that four-point win. It went right down to the end of the game. It was a tight game, and they won it. But Harden had to go 40 minutes. What do you expect out of him, including the possibility of not playing at all? Everything on the table, what would you think? Um, you know, if he does play, play in that many minutes, um, on a back-to-back is a, is a beast. So um, I would say that I'd be surprised. I, he's listed as questionable, right? I have not seen. I don't know okay. that. He may well I be. I thought I saw I that somewhere. But, you may have. You know, I don't know. I maybe dreamt about it. Um, <laughs> I, no, but I, if he does play, uh, you know, it'll be a – I'm sure minutes will be watched and everything else. It's certainly not going to be – uh, a preview of the NBA Finals, put it that way. There's there's going to be a lot of people missing. All right, so in a sense, how dangerous does that make this team? If they've, they're already going to have two guys, two stars missing in Durant and Irving, and they didn't have either of those guys against Portland, but yet they still managed to find a way to win, and to, to an extent from the Jazz per perspective, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah, these games have been uh... – it seems like we played a lot of them, uh, played a lot of games with people missing. I think that's probably due to the the way the season's compacted and the way people are managing their rosters, obviously, and then um, the, the injuries on top of that. But uh, it, it's been something the Jazz have dealt with, uh, and they've actually done a pretty good job of staying focused. I think that's the biggest, I guess, pitfall is when teams are missing, you know, multiple guys, you know, I think just – psychologically it can be a a thing where hey we really don't need to extend all this energy tonight we'll find a way to win but the, the most important thing is that the jazz keep focusing on the things that are working and uh you know that last game um you know they, they did a great job of of getting kind of getting back to what they do uh but they really guarded well uh in chicago and um you know they made levine uh, pretty inefficient, made him take a lot of shots to get his points. So they did a nice job on him. And they kept the, the points per possession, you know, defensively under 100, which is the first time that's happened in a bit. So all, all those things are very, very positive signs. So on the list of things you're doing well that you want to keep doing, well, you want Joe Ingles to go 18 of 22 from the three-point arc over a three-game span. And he's done that, 8 of 10, 5 of 6, 5 of 6. But that can't possibly be sustained because nobody shoots 81% from three in the long run. So what has to get better to make up for Joe inevitably, you know, cooling off to the mid-70s? It's been crazy. You know, David said the other night, I mean, the way the Jazz 
shot the ball from three, the number of threes they made, um, and the percentage they shot, you know, was all very, very positive. Given uh, with, uh, you know, Donovan uh, didn't shoot the, his typical percentage from three. Uh, Clarkson is really kind of for the first time since he's been traded here is in a little bit of a shooting slump um, and struggling right now to see it go in and Bojan. So what Joe's basically done is he's just kind of picked up for everybody else. I mean, it's kind of what you guys do at the station. You know, you, you do more than your fair share uh, to make everybody else look better. And, um, and and I would say it's about darn time that you guys get some kind of bonus from Joe for, for the karma. There's got to be karma in, attached to his shooting right now, and I think it's because he's with you guys weekly. Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think that uh... – I discovered him, I like to say. Well, I know you've been working with him after practice, too, PK, in an undisclosed location. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get masked, him to raise the ball higher. Masked, of course, but you're just working on that quick release. Oh, I, I, He's so bored now. He's going Larry Bird, and he's just going to shoot threes right-handed. It, it, it's amazing to watch how much of a rhythm he's in, and we talked about this on the, the post-game the other night. But, I mean, he's catching that ball at about – above his forehead and he's barely dipping his elbow you know he's just flicking that thing he catches it and it's almost like it's already on its way he just has a great great rhythm going right now so that is something that not only joe's got to work on that release point but then everybody who's passing him the ball has to know that's the target that's the sweet spot and there's a story about john stockton and i don't know who it was um, but it was somebody who played here who wrote a book, and I don't know, it was somebody in the 80s, I don't know, it was, I don't know who it was, but whoever it was wrote a book, there can only be a handful of guys who did that, and they said the first thing that happened when they met Stockton was he, he didn't even greet them like most people do, so it was just kind of like, hey, welcome to the club, where do you want the ball? He's like, what? He's like, where do you want me to pass you the ball? Where's your shooting motion? And the guy kind of m- mimicked it without a ball, and Stockton nodded and turned around and walked away. The target's important, not making a guy move his feet, reach down to his ankles to catch the ball or whatever. The target's important. So it's awesome that Joe's moved his shooting motion and has it so compact and so high, but everybody else on the team deserves a little credit too. Yeah, it's it's the idea, and we used to talk about this all the time. I actually picked it up at the camp I was at. Um, but the idea of swishing your passes. You know, you talk all the time about uh, shooting the ball and not trying not to hit any rim and be really precise. Um, you know, players work on that from, from short range to really kind of work on touch and, and release. Uh, same thing can be said for passing. You know, you want to switch your passes. You, you know the target, you see the target, and you try to get that thing as close to the target as possible. Um, you know, another guy that the, guy, the Jazz have done a great job of adjusting to where he catches the ball well and where he doesn't is Rudy Gobert. Uh, Mike Conley actually went through I think, you know, a better part of a year last year trying to figure out, you know, where the lobs go, where the bounce passes go. Um, and this year you see him put a little bit more, um, a little bit more oomph, I guess, on the bounce pass to get it up a little higher. And Rudy's really good when it's waist or higher. Anything below that, you know, for a big guy is difficult. So uh, you hit a great point, DJ. Not just pass the ball, but pass the ball well. Um, you know, be unselfish, but also have an understanding of where it's going and who's getting it and, and what they can do with it. Is Alex Jensen going to be the new coach of the Utes? Man, I you know you would think I would know. Um, 
because I know Al so well. And but it's one of those things in in life you just gotta. <clears throat> I know he is right now in the middle of an awesome season, probably the one of the better seasons he's ever been a part of uh, since the Final Four run at Utah. The Jazz are just playing so well. They're so well thought of and their best team in the league. So he's got to balance that right now with uh, what I would assume, you know, at times probably thought of through his life as a place he could end up and possibly a, you know, quote unquote, I don't know this, he's never told me this, but a dream job from, a, you know, being able to go back home. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a really hard decision because he really is imminent to be a, an NBA head coach. But I've told a couple people, you know, that's all well and good, but they still have to hire you. And, you know, they're still recycling. I, I'm still waiting for Hubie Brown to get another chance or George Carl to be recycled or, um, you know, Stan all is Stan all Larry Brown. Oh, that guy. Larry Stan Brown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think he is right there, but I also don't know what necessarily mean, know what right there means in coaching because it can go so many different directions. I mean, Jim Boylan was that coach in the NBA. So, I mean, you just never can predict because um, that's not anything, uh, you know, I would have predicted um, of Jim being a head coach. So, I, uh, you know, I've got selfish interest there because Alex Jensen is one of my favorite people of all time. Uh, when I was a, a volunteer manager, you know, back when I was in my early 20s and I was trying to get into coaching and, and uh, I chose that route, you know, what people don't understand is you, know, you get home from a, a road trip about two or three in the morning sometimes, um, and the bus pulls up in front of the school and it's freezing cold outside and everybody goes their separate way, and the managers have a bunch of stuff they got to load into the bowels of the Huntsman Center. And I'll never forget one night. I mean, there were two managers that traveled, and uh, my my buddy Mike Curtis and I were the managers. We were dragging stuff across the the parking lot of the Huntsman and I heard footsteps and turned around and everybody else is kind of leaving for their cars and Al Jensen grabs a bunch of stuff and he's, he starts hauling the stuff in with us. And, um, you know, his nickname at that point kind of stuck because in the middle of a blizzard and we had a bunch of stuff to carry called him St. Al and I've always called him St. Al and he's been, uh, one of those dudes in my life that has always been there and it doesn't matter if we haven't seen each other for a year or two or five, you know, when we talk, it's like going back in time. So, again, from a selfish interest, uh, you know, my, I know Johnny Bryant's name's been mentioned, too, and Johnny's a, a former player of ours. Um, it's getting really weird that former players are being discussed as head coaches. It really makes you feel old. Um, but my hope is that, bottom line is, it works out for whoever it is. Um, Alex seems to be the one that everybody's talking about right now, but I've seen these things go different directions. So, um I'm going to stand over here in the corner and kind of wait and see what happens and then really be excited to jump behind whoever it is and, and you know, offer support having been a former guy there for a lot of years. So you mentioned something there um, about going to the college game, and you can really speak about this because you had to do it. And I think we've all heard that one of uh, Alex's reservations, um, not – not maybe not today, but in the past when he's thought about colleges, he didn't really want to recruit. That was not his favorite part of the job when he worked for Rick at St. Louis. But if you're going to be good, you have to recruit, and you have to be all in on recruiting, and you have to be really good at it. Can you speak to what an awful part of the job that is for some people? There's probably some people who love it. But for the people who don't love it, what's it like to have to work it up and just like get the enthusiasm going for it? Because you know it's important. 
even if you don't really like it. Yeah, you know, it's more difficult now um, with, you know, the way kids are transferring, and it's almost as though they make a decision for a year, um, and then, you know, they, it's kind of like a dress rehearsal for the rest of their career. And the way that the rules are moving, I mean, recruiting is, you know, you're not just recruiting guys, you know, that aren't part of your program. You better be recruiting the dudes in your program every day. So recruiting is the life. You guys have heard this a million times, and it, but it's the truth. Recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. Um, and you really do have to find um, an advantage. Uh, typically that's done through, you know, getting really good assistance. Um, sometimes it's done through getting really good assistance and offering money as well. I mean, that's been done before. Don't, don't blush, but that's been done before. It does, it, you know, most of the teams that are still playing, um, have probably figured out a way to, to compensate guys. But the bottom line is this, um, it's a huge part of what you do. You better figure it out. And whether you like it or not, uh, you better find a, a really strong passion for it because at the end of the day, you are as good as the players on your team um, and, and your ability to coach them up. And certainly you want to start with really good players that you can coach up to a higher level. So um, it, 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 there's a lot of gratifying things with recruiting. There's a lot of really disappointing and difficult things. Um, but I think that the most important thing that, you know, getting into coaching in the college level, they don't just show up, you know, like in the pros, you don't just, you don't draft them and they sign and you show up and they're there and they're yours. Um, even more so now you're lucky if you sign a kid, you know, uh, and he actually shows up to school because, uh, it it is an eternal battle and it's just going to continue to get worse. So how much does the head coach have to recruit? versus the roles of the assistant coaches? I think it's it's a great question, PK, and, and I think it really does vary. Um, you know, some guys are, as head coaches, can kind of consider themselves the, the closer, and, um, you know, you, you have interactions with them, but the assistants are doing the majority of it. Uh, I think the higher-level players really want uh, to understand the, the personality of the head coach, what the head coach is all about, you know, how they, how that head coach sees them and wants to use them because they're ultimately, they're the ones making the decision. So um, wherever that point comes where the head coach is totally 100% engaged is different and varies. But I would say that the guys who are, you know, really great recruiters get in really early and have a system by which uh, this recruit by, you know, the end of, the, the recruiting cycle, the year recruiting cycle, you have a really good feel, or the kids should have a really good feel for what the head coach is all about. Given how the game has changed over 25 years, uh, do you think that what is required to be a head coach on a resume has changed? Because, you know, 25 years ago, Chris Hill would have told you or me or uh, PK, he would have said, hey, we're the University of Utah. They're in the Mountain West at this point. He says, we're at the point now where we don't have to give people their first chance coaching college basketball. I want to find a coach who's won and had a track record. Rick Majerus had good teams at Ball State. He went and hired a guy who took Eastern Washington, the NCAA tournament, when he got Ray Giacoletti. He didn't want to give people their first chance. Now, in the case of Johnny Bryant, he hasn't been a head coach anywhere. In the case of uh, Alex Jensen, he's been a head coach in the G League, which isn't the same thing. I mean, you are a head coach, but you're not running a program and a staff in the same way. 
but I'm curious how much it's changed now because the elite players want to get to the NBA. Both Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryan can say, hey, I'm a player development guy. I know what it takes to get to the NBA. I worked with, in the case of uh, Johnny Bryant, Gordon Hayward. In the case of Alex Jensen, I worked with Rudy Gobert. They've got a really good story to tell in that area. How much should that matter versus the traditional what Chris Hill was saying 25 years ago, which is largely how it did work 25 years ago, and to a degree it's how it works now too. Yeah, I think there's there's a uh, <clears throat> there's an important part of, of having a story to tell, and really I think that when it comes to hiring a coach nowadays, um, you certainly want to hire somebody with experience. I mean, uh, at the University of Utah, um, you know, I know there were a bunch of, of assistants locally whose names were thrown out, and I just don't feel like it's a job right now where they're going to hire an assistant at the college level to cut his teeth. I think where you've got um, the NBA and, and guys who have been, uh, like you mentioned, Al, who's been a, a G League head coach and also, um, you know, the main the head assistant at the, with the Jazz and Johnny's obviously the associate head coach with the Knicks. You, you, get, you have a story to tell there. And in recruiting, that's really the most important thing. What is your focus going to be? Are you going to talk about, um, you know, are you going to get them a degree? That's, that's what you used to tell kids, you know, 20 years ago. Hey, we're going to get you in here. We're going to get you a degree. Everybody was happy. They left you alone for four years. You got the degree. You kind of, margin, you know, figured out what, the, what their career was like. Um, nowadays, it's totally different. You know, they show up. The parents are there. Um, you know, one of the first questions asked is, can we hire our own workout guy, you know? Um, can we this? Can we that? Um, and, and as a coach, I mean, the most important thing is you got to have a story. You got to have some some really valuable experience, and then you got to be uh, you got to be real comfortable and confident in what you're going to push. And player development's a great one nowadays. I mean, so many people lead with that. Um, everybody wants to get better. Um, you know, there's a there's a a funny thing most kids show up you know in college and, and they all know the odds they all know the odds of playing at the next level but in their mind you know it's not going to be them that's left out so they're all looking at how can i figure out a way to get through this college experience best for me um and get myself to the league and so if you've got a guy who's actually been there and been behind the, the scenes and can tell the stories and talk about players and their development and all that stuff i think that does kind of catch you up um, with, say, guys that have had mid-major jobs and done got a good job leading a program. So, again, it comes down to more than anything the story you tell. Tim, we will hear you tonight. Jazz and the Nets, 7 o'clock pregame. You'll be there with Jake Scott. The game will tip at 8, and you will be on I-15 at about 1 in the morning. So, hey, where are you gonna, What are you going to be doing about 1? <laughs> Sleeping. You want to recap the game with me just in the car? Just keep me awake. I am your guide to help kill time on the drive to the game. But on yeah, the way home, except for I messed you up on that last time. I'm you, like, I'll call you back. You did. You left me hanging. I'll call you back. I didn't know you were in Salt you Lake all day. You that uh, Dirty Deeds Dunder Cheap we came in with? That was good. I liked it. That was me screaming. Uh, you're the man. Tim, we appreciate it as always. Thanks for joining us. All right, guys. Keep PK... Uh, PK, have you got your second vaccine yet? Uh, for what? <laughs> for what? Uh, mumps. <laughs> the booster. The mumps booster. I'd have to get the first one before I get the second one. Started to slide into Majerus there with the mumps booster. I heard that. Oh, you know, I, 
I got the mumps booster, uh, you know, it really sent me for a... Okay. Yeah. All right, Tim Lacombe, man of many talents, impersonations, music, basketball, and he joins us here every week on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, DJ and PK in the morning. We'll get you up to speed on everything you missed in this show next. Stay with us. Harden against Covington up top, working right, stumbling through to the rim, laid it off the window and in, and he got tripped up and a foul to boot. Griffin against McCollum, backing him in, turns, oh, muscles it right up and in as Blake Griffin used his size and strength to go right through McCollum that time. Johnson, baseline, turnaround, good for Tyler Johnson. Off the 17th assist for James Harden. Time to get you up to speed on everything you've missed in today's show. We have talked about the Nets. They are playing the Jazz tonight. It's a late game for ESPN, 8 o'clock. Tip, Vivint Sports, uh, Vivint Arena, uh, the Jazz at home here. And this is 11 of 14 at home for the Jazz. There have been a lot of road games, but it all evens out. You're going to play half of them at home, half of them on the road. And they got 11 of 14 at home now. This is a chance to get on a roll. They've won two in a row. The Nets are playing back-to-back. They were in Portland last night. And they don't have Kevin Durant. He's played less than half the games this season. Kyrie Irving, personal family man, matter. He's not on the trip. They've excused him for three games. So Harden's got to carry the load. And he did. He played 40 minutes last night. And PK, if he comes in gas today, if the Jazz don't run it and push it and make him run, I don't – why? if you don't do it now, you, you'll never do it. it. Oh, come on. 44 minutes. Do you realize on May 17th, 1988 – the Jazz had three guys who played all 48 minutes in the Laker playoff series. Mm-hmm. Did they have to no, go you, back-to-back in a different time zone the next night? I don't know if it was the next night. I can look it up. But Malone, Stockton, and the immortal Bob Hansen. Thurl was a slacker. He only played 44. Come on, Thurl. Pick it up. <laughs> You're taking four minutes off. <laughs> Thurl played one minute, 44 off the bench, and somebody named Scott Roth played one minute. <laughs> <laughs> one minute. <laughs> Which probably wasn't even that much. It wasn't. It's going to be like, yeah, it's like 41 seconds at the end of the third quarter, and they wanted to buy someone an extra long break with the quarter break. Yeah. Here, go play two possessions, and then they gave him a minute. (laughs) Uh, The other guy to watch is Jeff Green, former jazz man, and no matter how many nice things people say in public, I think there was a lot of angst behind the screen, uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I think Jeff Green wasn't uh, buying whatever the Jazz were selling. Uh, there's a season ticket. Well, I don't know if it's a season ticket. Holder. Somebody goes to a lot of games anyway. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But he goes to a lot of games. Who called me? He's like, what is the deal with Jeff Green? His body language on the bench. Everyone else is up cheering. And he's looking up in the stands, shaking his head at somebody like, this is so college. Uh, and he got let go in the middle of the season. Now, he's you caught on. to a lot of people, man. He's bound. What? You talk to a lot of people. Yeah, not as many as you, but a lot, yes. Well, a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. Hey, because you're a celebrity. He had 20 points last night. He had a good game, and he's been averaging 11 for them uh, the last couple of months here, or maybe as for the whole season, I've checked his whole numbers, but um, he's actually averaging 10 for the season. He's listening to these last seven games, PK, because you're big on the whole you-are-who-you-are you theory, right? Yeah. Uh, 11 points in a win against Boston. Uh, and they've only lost one uh, one game here this month. They are uh, six and one this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eleven points, then five, then twenty against the Knicks. Fifteen against the Pacers. Three against Orlando. Three against Washington, and then twenty points against Portland. So 
He's had a couple 20-point games. We know about revenge tours and people motivate against their former teams. And Jeff yeah. Green is kind of in the Ryan Fitzpatrick category. Well, he's got so many former teams, yeah. Right, exactly. And Fitzpatrick said the whole season's going to be a revenge tour for me because I played for the whole bleeping league. It was, yeah. a, it was a funny line out of him. And yeah, to Jeff yeah, Green, yeah, if, he, yeah. if he saw it, was probably nodding going, I don't know how you feel, dude. Because uh, he's bounced around, but he's capable of a big game. So... We'll see how that goes. Who's going to give the, the Nets their firepower with no Durant, no Irving, and second night of a back-to-back having played on the West Coast last night. But well, they are Harden playing was, well. Harden was 0 of 7 from 3, so that makes me a little nervous. Because mm-hmm. uh, he, can, he can get hot and score 36 in a blink of an eye. Uh, and then typically I look, why does Portland lose? Well, because I think that... Uh, their two guys didn't uh, shoot it at all. like 10 of 37. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Lillard, C.J. McCollum, both really struggling. Every Portland box score, I go right to those two guys. So I, don't on, even look, I don't even look at the score. I go right <laughs> to those guys could tell you what happened, won or lose. February 9th, the Nets went to Detroit and got beat, and Detroit's bad. And it dropped the Nets to 14-12. and 12. Since then, they are 16-2. and two. Dallas got them, and Orlando got them. And other than that... They have rolled through this, and they've played the Lakers, and they've played the Clippers, and they've played the Suns. They had a big road trip, and they beat those three teams all in a row. All in a row. Um, so they they're they're crushing it here. Uh, Sixteen and two in their last eighteen games. They are I mean, probably feeling the way the Jazz felt when they went twenty out of twenty one. Uh, but the schedule does work against them with the back to back here in different time zones. And if yeah, and you're facing the league's best team mm-hmm. record wise, and. I hope we can say that we can eliminate record-wise, but we can't eliminate record-wise until the postseason. Uh, we always got to throw in that little caveat, which is somewhat of a disrespect to the Jazz. But you hear it all the time. Uh, best team record-wise. Because like, we're a little reluctant to just call them the best team. Because they're the Jazz. If you want to crown them, then crown their asses. <laughs> yeah, that's a great thing about the pro sports, man. I don't need some committee or some bald-headed guy in the South saying, yeah, who wants Utah in? And it, that, none of that has to have happen. <laughs> bald-headed guy in the South. Took me a minute to figure out where you were going there. What's his name? Uh, Paul Feinbaum. Feinbaum, there you go. And it was yeah. about Utah in the playoff. Uh, a couple years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. with their 11-win season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to see Utah? Who wants to see Utah? And yeah. it's like, yeah, well, it's, it's a beauty pageant, which, which college football is to an extent. Once you, once you introduce judges... It's a beauty pageant in football, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And so that is, which is why I don't really get into that. I get hyped up on the Pac-12 and have fun with that. And the other guys take their cake and eat it, too. And we don't get to eat it sometimes, uh, most of the time. So, But the NBA, nope. So we're all out there. And you're going to get some referees that are going to make some screwy calls. But you're just going to have to play through that uh, over time. So uh, there you go. And I'm excited for this opportunity for the Jazz to get home now because they've been on the road for so long and to have this opportunity to just solidify the number one seed. You've come this far. You might as well get it. it was that uh, Paul Westfall used to have a saying in the Suns locker room when he was the coach. I think it was Westfall. We're, we're playing a game tonight. We might as well win it. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, uh, that's just first cousin to you play the game to win the game. Yeah. And so why not get it? You know, If it's there to be had, go get it. 
Jazz are two games up on the Suns, four up on the Clippers, four up on the Lakers. The Lakers lost again, and I think now the uh, the favorite game for a lot of Laker fans is, well, how far are they going to fall, and then how much are they going to bounce back when they get LeBron and, and AD back? Lakers have lost three in a row. The Pelicans uh, 128-111 over the Lakers. The Pelicans well, are really rolling. They're the Jakers now. They're the G League. They're not the Lakers. They're the Jakers. I mean, this is such a watered-down team. As I said earlier this morning, it really gives you the appreciation for LeBron. And I don't know that he needs any more appreciation uh, as a ball player. If you don't like his speaking up on issues, that's your call. But as a ball player, I just don't know how can you not afford him the ultimate respect because he's just marvelous. And you see, as I brought up, when they were without Anthony Davis, they 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 weren't as good but they weren't this bad. Now, now they're missing two, and I believe if Anthony Davis was playing, they wouldn't be as good as if not having LeBron if, as opposed to having LeBron. He's just, and he's 36 years old, right? Isn't yep. he 36? It's just absolutely amazing. And who was it? I was watching uh, in the afternoons now, I flick around, see what's going on, these talk shows. Oh, my my man who was insistent that Majerus one is going to take the uh Warriors job and was on the phone with me at 11:30 at night. I'm going with the story. I'm going with the story. Like he Rick wanted Buker. my yeah, Buker. He wanted my uh, approval, and I said, Rick, uh, you go with it. I'm not going with it. <laughs> so he obviously Majerus didn't take that job, but he was saying that he thinks uh, he he has a little conspiracy theory in him. He said because we saw what happened last year, right? We had a three month vacation. It wasn't a vacation, but it was a three-month layoff. And then LeBron comes back. He's got all sorts of juice. Mm -hmm. And they just roar to the finals and win it all, right? So his theory is, okay, wait a second. LeBron rolled over and clearly was big-time anguish, right? Mm -hmm. You can see it. It was scary. You're thinking, oh, my gosh, did he break something, right? Is the season over? Because the man was in obvious pain, and he's so indestructible that we don't ever see that from him. And he stays in and hits a three and then comes out. So Bucher was saying, well, during that time – Somebody thought, hey, well, now we got an excuse to rest him, and the league can't find us. Get him out of there. (laughs) So he was saying, look what happened last season when they had that big layoff. And so now get him out of there. Who cares if they they, they don't care? Finish whatever. What difference does it make to those guys, right? And especially LeBron. He didn't have to worry about what place he's going to finish in the regular season. So sit him out for two months and then have him come back, man, just like last season. And then he's roaring to go. So he was throwing that. He was sort of half joking, but he was yeah. putting that out there. I think he stayed in to hit the three because that stretched his string of games with ten points to one thousand and thirty-six. So, do you think he cares about that? Well, he stayed in and hit it, and then he called a timeout and left the court shortly afterward. Reading from the game story. Now, maybe that was just his competitor like, yeah, it hurts, but it's a sprained ankle. I can shake it off. And maybe he ran up and down the court twice and realized, oh, I can't shake this off. This really hurts. I better get an MRI. You know, maybe I do. You know, maybe I have some kind of fracture in the foot or whatever. So because he did have an X-ray and an MRI that day. So maybe that was it. And maybe it was just dumb luck that he had seven and hit a corner three. I mean, I would think his legacy is not how many games he scored 10 points in a row. His legacy is 
well, first off, he's LeBron, so his legacy's set. But maybe in his mind, he's like, hey, I want to get that fifth and sixth title. I want to match of Magic course. and I want to match well, Jordan. You know? But I think that's where. Seven and eight? It's after just. That. Right, yeah, right. 40 year old LeBron just kicking everybody's butt and taking names. I'm the man. I, do, I don't think that that's why they're doing it, but I think that either he thought of it or somebody around him thought of it and immediately said, hey, you took, you took three months off and won it last time. Why should you get worn down carrying this team? It really doesn't matter if you're seated one, two, three, or four. It doesn't. You know? Maybe they want to be in the top six because you don't want to take a chance. You, know, you don't want to have to play the two extra games. If he's had all this time off... You know, if, if there's seven or eight, he'd have to lose two games, and he's not going to do that. They're going to be playing incredibly mediocre teams at that point. They won't lose twice if they have him and AD. So even the playing game, even if they're seven or eight, now if you're nine or ten, you'd only have to lose once, so I guess that's a little riskier. They just got to be healthy. Yeah, I can't see them dropping that far. If you check the standings right now, two games in the loss column would drop them from tied to third where they are right now. Uh, the Nuggets have 17, the Blazers and Spurs have 18. So that takes you to 7th pretty quick. Now, the Spurs are just going to play 500 ball the rest of the way, and if they trade guys, you know, I don't know if they're going to tear the team apart. or you know, Are they a buyer or a seller at the deadline, or do they stand pat? they're a seller. Yeah. If they're a seller, then they drop even faster, at which point you know, the Mavericks are the next team you'd There's have There's two things out. I can count on with the Spurs. I think they're going to sell, and I don't think Popovich is going to get a haircut. <laughs> So how far will the Clippers or the Lakers fall, and how much will they bounce back? The Clippers now ought to be thinking, well, we really ought to be top three here. Sure. Although they, the Nuggets are coming. They, Who knows? Uh, whose hair was in more dire need of a haircut? Whittingham during the football season or Ooh. Popovich during the basketball oh. season? Oh, you want to throw in Tim Lacombe? Well, come on, let's make it a three-way debate. No, Lacombe is just the typical, I am finally escaped the BYU rules. And now I can do whatever. So I'm growing it out. Yeah, everyone does that. I mean, Pope, when he gets another job, he's going to have a ponytail. <laughs> uh, PK, funny enough, based on that conversation we had yesterday, I had a guy down at BYU text me last night because he was down at practice. Hey, the Pro Day guys are back, and PK's dead on. There are beards galore. <laughs> Because it's true. It's exactly what it is. As soon as someone tells you, you're doing this, you want to do that. (laughs) Well, if you're forced to do it, yeah. You're doing this. I really want to do that. All right. uh, Other things we've talked about this morning. Anything else you want to pass along? Uh, BYU women's basketball, 5 o'clock against Arizona on ESPNU. Second round of the NCAA tournament. Jazz game doesn't start till late. So there you go. I am going to be decked in full BYU regalia. Nice. And I hope the Cougars are smoking. <laughs> Celtics Bucks are the early game in the ESPN doubleheader. That'll be that'll be on ESPN while the uh, the BYU and Arizona women's game is going on on ESPNU. All right, DJ and PK, your feedback next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it is time for your feedback, everything you've got to say about today's show. What is going on with Joe Ingles? 18 of 22 from three. 81%. How's he doing this? He's up to 50% on the year now. Second best in the NBA. Daniel Moss says he's the emu. He's the Australian bird. (laughs) Okay. Uh... Bentley says, 
dude has a hot hand. He sends us a gif uh, from the movie. This guy's snapping his fingers, and fire comes out the end of his fingers. Oh, nice. J, uh, Z that Wilson. the human torch from the Fantastic Four. Thank you. Yeah. Z Wilson fanboy number one says he'd been drinking his morning cup of joe. Well, he know he does that, win or lose, <laughs> right. miss, make or miss. And when I was a kid, I was probably about, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. I learned to snap my fingers, and I thought it was so cool. I kept doing it, I kept doing it, and later in the day, I snapped it, and blood burst out of my thumb because I kept, I developed a blister, and I didn't know it. I kept snapping my fingers so many times that day. You have more stories. I thought it was stories. the coolest thing. <laughs> you have more stories. Yeah. Matt, just Matt says, as a kid once, I stood up and adjusted the rabbit ears during a jazz game, and they started winning, so I stood there like that for the rest of the game. <laughs> Maybe some kid out there has the same power over Joe. That is so crazy to me, man. I told you I had a roommate when I was in college and at NAU, and he was a massive Suns fan, and he stood... They were losing, and they were playing Seattle in the playoffs, and he stood with a chair, and the, the back part of the chair was facing him, and he had his leg over it, so he's got one knee on it, and he and they made a comeback. He had to stand in that, that way with his knee over, leg over the chair and his elbow on his knee leaning over on that chair for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Guy responded with one of my favorite gifts, a movie I've – only seen clips of. I've never seen it all the way through, nor do I think I need to because I don't think it has a plot. I think it's just a series of jokes. <laughs> yeah, remember uh, Will Ferrell did a NASCAR movie? Yes. And he's doing the post-race interview with his blonde yeah. wife with the glasses over his shoulder nodding. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. He sent us that gift. Right now he's the best there is, man. This guy's amazing, man. And he's, he's padding the stats. Now the three-point shooting – He's going to leave with the career mark. Someone will probably pass it because it's the nature of the threes, and he didn't get a lot of threes earlier when he was starting out, and plus he started out late. So wouldn't be surprised that Mitchell would catch him. I mean, you were talking about the box scores of that uh, 88 series. You said 28 and 24. I think it was 23 and 24. Okay. But but they took like uh, – Five three-pointers. <laughs> that's just a quarter for Joe. <laughs> I know. My gosh, that's crazy, man, to think. And you had, what you have, uh, five Hall of Famers in that series? Yep. Uh, three for the but, Lakers and two for the Jazz. And then they, they take four or five three-pointers. That's it. But those were long shots, desperation shots. And now Joe shot his 10,000, and so he can shoot 50%. If, uh, if Michael Cooper had come out and started shooting 50%, Pat Riley probably would have said, hey, Michael, well, I bet you take not, some more threes. Actually, no, but Byron Scott in the one game I looked at, he was two for two. Nice. What did he That's shoot for it. the year, though? Uh, I, I I'll bet he didn't shoot 50%. No, he did it from three? No. I know, right. But you don't. But that statistically, you don't need to shoot fifty percent from three no, to don't. have it be considered a good shot no, because it's don't. worth one more point. Obviously, the two for five gets people excited. You get to forty percent, and you yeah. are getting the green light. Papa yes. Dave says Joe's married to Renee. He's afraid of losing her, so he thought he'd better raise up his game. Okay, here it is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Meanwhile, TJ thinks he sold his soul. No. <laughs> oh, that's that was a great transaction. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scott are coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.